This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. that I enjoy playing this song uh, is not just because I'm a fan of baseball and used to enjoy uh, seeing Mariano Rivera and even Billy Wagner sprint to the mound uh, to make a nine-inning game essentially an eight-inning game because you knew once those guys were in to close the game, it was over. No need to even keep watching. But it's because for many years, it was the signal of the start of one of my favorite radio shows. And someone who is a gifted communicator, who I've gotten to know a bit uh, over the couple, last couple of years, and who's kind enough to join me on the radio, is one of my favorite radio talk show hosts, Tom Likas, a veteran radio talk show host, and now he is killing it as a podcaster. Uh, Tom, thank you so much for joining me on the radio. Always fun, Frank. Uh, Tom, you are a refugee, a New York refugee who sought asylum in California, and mercifully, they're a sanctuary state. You were granted asylum there. Uh, New York is dealing with a little bit of an uptick in crime. It's the front page of uh, both of the major tabloids at least three days a week. And you just get the sense, even more than the news coverage of it, you get the sense that uh, people that live here they don't feel comfortable doing things that New Yorkers do. They don't feel comfortable riding the subway. They don't feel comfortable walking to work. As an outsider, as a guy that used to live here and as a guy that lived here when the city statistically was in much worse shape, how does New York's, uh, I don't want to call it a crime crisis because that is insulting to people that lived through the 70s and 80s, but how does the uptick in crime that New Yorkers are seeing make people who live in places like California feel about New York? Well, uh, uh, clearly, uh, people are. Uh, uh, yeah, we have our own problems with crime in Los Angeles. Let's just say that, uh, and our own issues, uh, we have had them. But uh, I grew up, as as you know, I grew up just east of the Grand Concourse, across from Taft High School, and uh, I uh, have spent a lot of time talking to my old friends in the Bronx recently. As a matter of fact, and. Um, I must say that uh, you know when 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 I was leaving the Bronx, uh, the uh, the joke went like this: that the area code of the Bronx is nine one one. So it was already having problems at that time. This would go back to the seventies. However, um, I, I must say that uh, even growing up in New York, with the amount of crime it had back in those days, um, I I New York has never looked this dangerous to me, never. And, you know, I enjoyed New York in its best days. When I go back and watch uh, TV, I, I go back and watch TV shows just because I'm nostalgic about it. Uh, silly TV shows that just show New York in a good light, like the sitcom called That Girl, which uh, appeared in the late 60s on I love TV. That and it has plenty of great stock footage of Manhattan when it was great. 
Also, uh, Mad Men, another show that, although it wasn't filmed in New York, it used a lot of stock footage of New York back when it was great. And uh, I'm not saying New York is uniquely fallen. I'm saying that every city has to stay in the sun, every one. I mean, the latest city I've seen that had its stay in the sun more recently was Seattle, which is a disaster. Uh, Seattle looks so bad uh, between the uh, discarded syringes on every street and the the homeless crisis and broken windows, whatever. Uh, There is a Facebook page called uh, Seattle Looks Like, I'll say the letter S. (laughs) There is a whole page with thousands of users dedicated to showing pictures of how bad Seattle has gotten. So I'm not saying New York is uniquely bad, but the stories we get, also because of the fact that you've got uh, three tabloids, if you include Newsday, uh, so they are always going to emphasize the negative, no doubt about it. But to outsiders, it does not look like a very appealing place to visit, whether it's videos of Pizza Rat or uh, various (laughs) videos inside the subway with lead paint hanging down on the 7th Avenue station. Uh, of the F train, uh, <laughs> it really looks like a hellscape, and not like the beautiful place where I grew up. It doesn't look anything like what I grew up in. Now, one of the things that we always hear from New Yorkers who sometimes move to Arizona, the Carolinas, sometimes Florida, and maybe less so California is that, oh, well, you can't get, it, it's great, we love it here, we love the cost of living, we love the, the the less crime, we love this or that, but you can't get a great New York bagel or you can't get great New York pizza. What is the accuracy of that supposition? Not accurate. Those are people who don't know how to use, uh, like, an, a map application <laughs> or Yelp. <laughs> Maybe they're new in town and don't know how to get to the good bagel. Uh, you know, because we are not mass transit driven here. So it's not like, you know, when I lived on the Upper West Side and we had the great old place H&H Bagels at the corner of 80th and Broadway. And uh, that those are the most amazing bagels to this day that I've ever tasted. And it was very easy. You just take the you took the Broadway local from 72nd Street to 80th Street and you were there you were. There you were with these great bagels. But but L.A. doesn't work that way. You have to get in your car and drive to the bagel place. And if people are staying at a hotel downtown, for example, um, the bagel place is not going to be downtown. The bagel place is going to be on Fairfax Avenue or Pico Boulevard or various other places. There are plenty of great bagels in Los Angeles, plenty of great pizzas spectacular pizzas that in some of these online surveys or these blogs that do these uh, rundowns, many of them have read LA pizza above New York pizza, which I also found hard to believe. But in reality, the last time I was, you saw me last time I was in New York, the last time I was in New York, Manhattan has been uh, uh, deluged with these 99 cent fresh pizza places, mm. 99 cent slices. And they are terrible. <laughs> Nothing like the days of original raised pizza in the village or some of the great pizza of the past. A lot of it's gone. One of the best slices in New York when I was a kid was right there at the Manhattan entrance to the Staten Island Ferry. That was the most amazing slice of pizza. But uh, we have great pizza in L.A. Uh, One done in a ghost kitchen called Hollywood Pies. 
and there is no there are no tables or chairs. You order on the phone like it's the uh, pandemic lockdown, and you go down and pick up your pizza. Ridiculous. <laughs> Absolutely great. But I, I believe a lot of people get here and they uh, stay in a hotel and they, they don't want they don't rent a car or they don't know how to get around. And then they start complaining about things they say we don't have in L.A. We have them. You don't know how to find them. <laughs> if people are just tuning in, we're talking with Tom Likas. You could check out his podcast at premiumtom.com. Tom, you were in radio for, I guess, 40 or 50 years before making the transition to uh, podcasting. You were uh, wildly successful. You you did it all as a host of local shows that were very successful, a host of nationally syndicated shows that were very successful, AM, FM, producer, program director. You've done just about everything there is to do in the field of radio what do you, what is your take on the world of radio these days? It seems like a lot of the people that um, used to be uh, uh, really enthusiastic about the world of talk radio, both content creators and even some listeners, some of that enthusiasm has migrated to the world of podcasting and people's favorite podcast hosts. Is that a reflection of just the content on terrestrial radio not being as good anymore? Is it a reflection of uh, the radio audience just aging out? Out and uh, the only people still having radios being older, or is it a reflection of of something else? Give me your kind of. You were doing a state of the radio address. What is the state of radio? Well, I'll put it this way: there's many formats in radio, and they all have their issues, and they all have their benefits, whatever they are. Uh, as far as talk radio is concerned, across the country, uh, the biggest problem is that it nowadays seems like uh, in order to get a job at talk radio station, I'm not looking for a job, by the way, but uh, in order to get a job, it appears you have to subscribe to a particular brand of politics. And if you don't, they don't put you on the air. Now uh, I always looked at talk radio as primarily entertainment. Now, did we talk about the news? Yes. Did we talk about politics? Yes. But the most important thing I believed I was doing is entertaining the audience. I never believed that I was getting people elected or changing laws or any of that stuff. Uh, the, the idea of it was I had people getting into cars at four in the afternoon and they get home at six thirty, and I had to hold them captive for two and a half hours by entertaining people. And nowadays you turn on the radio. I already know. One look at Twitter and I know what today's talk radio talking <laughs> points are. So I don't bother tuning in like I used to. When I was a kid, New York City had amazing talk radio. And I grew up, I can name them all, Barry Farber, Barry Gray, Sandy Lesberg, Long John Nebel, Brad Crandall. New York had one great talk show after another. And it's part of what inspired me to go into talk radio. So uh, I, I heard great shows. And now I hear you know, everybody's saying the same thing. Uh, and, and, you know, again, it doesn't matter what your politics are. you got to admit that any radio station, uh, in, you know, in L.A., we got a station like this. You've got the uh, Jewish conservative followed by the gay conservative followed by the black conservative. And every host totally agrees with what the last guy said. Oh, no, I, I, I find it to be the most boring thing in the world. Dreadful. Dreadful. Somebody said to me today, I was listening to talk radio in San Diego today. Do you know what they were talking about? I said, 
let me guess. Biden should have been in Ohio and shouldn't have been in Ukraine today. Uh, and that that was, I was right. And the person who said this to me was amazed that I knew that. <laughs> but it's not hard to know the number one topic on talk radio on any day of the week. Now, what I used to love when I worked in the business was that you had hosts of various kinds with various opinions. And many times the hosts would argue with each other. And it was so good. And now every host agrees with every other host. Every show agrees with what the last show said. Uh, that doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. So, you know, radio stations are, even though they're licensed by the government, they're private businesses. Everybody should do what they want to do, what they think will make them money. That's great. But as a listener, as a consumer, not interested. Where do you think that degree of political mimicry came from the 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 kind of the convention I, I can, tell I, me yeah. frank Moran, i'm going to give you a scoop i was there the moment that happened the moment that happened and where that was i was at the national association of broadcasters convention in 1994 in downtown los angeles and uh there i was on a stage it looked like the rolling stones it was lit up like a rock and roll show and I came out all in black leather and boots and screaming and yelling and whatever. And uh, during a break in the show, an attendee of that convention came to me and told me about a seminar that had been held by a consultant, now deceased, named Ed Shane. And Ed Shane came into a room at the NAB convention, and he told radio station program directors that because Rush Limbaugh was so successful, Every host on your station should be doing that. And, uh, you know, a lot of these people at the convention, they took that seriously. And I started noticing a distinct change in the tone of talk radio, where suddenly they, you know, they liked Rush and they wanted six Rushes a day. That's what they wanted. Now, I don't agree with a lot of Rush Limbaugh's politics, but, you know, I appreciated him as a radio personality. But did I want to hear his opinion all the time? Do I think Rush was successful because he was conservative? I don't. Rush was successful because he knew the broadcasting business inside out. And he knew he had been a disc jockey in Pittsburgh. And he worked uh, talk radio in markets like Sacramento. And um, he, he learned the, the mechanics. He knew the formatics of talk radio. And it was great the way he took some of those disc jockey skills and applied them to talk radio. I thought that was fantastic. But the problem came when Ed Shane told program directors, you need Russ Limbaugh on 24 hours a day. And uh, the, my interest level in talk radio stations in general began to decline. I was one of the biggest P1s, one of the biggest fans of talk radio, listening all the time, had it on in the car, had it on to go to sleep, had it on on vacation, had it on all the time. And there's a lot of people like me who don't listen anymore. Now, some people have found other things to listen to, podcasting, NPR, and other stuff. But NPR is not entertaining either. What was interesting was having a variety of hosts and a variety of opinions and uh, not the people coming on. Hi, this is Larry Elder. Did you hear what Rush Limbaugh said? Today? I agree wholeheartedly <laughs> with everything. That's what talk radio has turned into now. Uh, That's what it is. Now, I, I know, uh, you know, just listening to your 
recantation of all these Rush imitators that uh, all these program directors that thought the key to Rush's success was his politics, not his ability to entertain, his ability to tell a story, his ability to do all these other things. You know, I guess to some extent, the same thing can be said of of Howard Stern, where you had a lot of FM stations switching to these sort of hot talk formats. And and you've been on some of these stations over the years. And, you know, you have a situation where I think a lot of those program directors thought the key to Howard Stern's success was just put people on the radio that will talk about sex and women and have naked women in the studio. When obviously anybody that listens to Howard Stern knows there's a lot more to his show than that. It doesn't um, seem like the Howard Stern imitator format has had the durability and the and the shelf life that the Rush imitating format has been. Would you agree yeah, with that? I'll tell you. I'm going to tell you something, Frank. Uh, you have to look at the numbers. WABC is a juggernaut, and it's a rare exception to what we're talking about here. There's no doubt about it. The numbers are great. These are numbers WABC hasn't seen since the '80s, as far as I can tell. Um, but no, um, the, the, the problem here is that um, uh, you know many of these uh, program directors um, came from questionable backgrounds. When I say questionable, I don't mean they did illegal things. I mean, were they qualified? Were they competent? Were they educated? Did they understand marketing? Did they understand numbers? Some of them do not. Uh, and with the um, FM talk stations imitating Howard Stern. Uh, yeah, a lot of them uh, went away. But what has happened also, though, in radio is that um, when you look around at some of the big call letters, have hardly any listeners. You know, WABC is a juggernaut, but its former sibling, KABC, has a 0.7% share of the audience. And uh, they have, uh, they, they just keep going with it. It's very reminiscent. Uh, and I don't know how you're going to feel about me saying this, but it's very reminiscent of the movie Network mm. when Howard Beale uh, was left on the air and the chairman of the board wanted him kept on the air no matter how low the ratings got. Right, because Ned Beatty, who's brilliant in that picture, uh, he, yeah. he, you know, Howard Beale was repeating a party line that Ned Beatty wanted out there to his viewers. Right. And I believe that that's exactly what's happened in talk radio. The the reason the Rush imitators survive and the Howard Stern imitators don't survive is because the Rush imitators uh, are representing political points of view that the corporations who own many of these stations want to get out there. So how does the, how does KABC no longer affiliated with WABC. How does KABC stay on the air with a point seven? I don't know how they do it. Right. And there's many other stations. We have another station here, one that is the sister station of the station you used to work for. And that station rarely has a 1% share of the audience. There are three or four stations on in Los Angeles who all have less than 1% of the audience, and they are the Russian imitators. The fact they're still on the air, does that imply that the shows are good or that they're popular? No, it's that many of these radio stations want to get these points of view out or the mm. companies that don't want to get these points of view out or the advertisers who might be a particular university pushing Christian education or might be a particular uh, pillow company. They want to get these opinions out and they don't care how low the ratings are. 
Uh, Tom, we've got to take a quick break. We're going to continue with Tom Likas in just a moment. We'll try and take uh, some of your calls if you like. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno, joined by Tom Likas for the hour. We'll continue straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. My guest for the hour is legendary radio talk show host and podcaster Tom Likas. You can check him out now at uh, premiumtom.com. And that's premiumtom.com. You know, Tom, listening to you kind of go down memory lane and mention a lot of those great radio voices from the past, I'm reminded of a fellow that was on WNBC briefly in the late 70s, but is not best known for being a radio talk show host, even though he did a fair amount of radio guesting over the course of the last few decades. And that's Richard Belzer. I'm curious, were you a fan of Richard Belzer? Did you get to know him at all? What was your take on Richard Belzer's work? I, I met Richard Belzer uh, on a couple of occasions. Most recently was uh, 10 years ago at the opening of the Broadway show uh, called Talk Radio. And uh, I was invited by uh, Eric Bogosian, the guy who wrote Talk Radio. And I went to a party and I met Richard there. And I had met him before at Catch a Rising Star back in the 70s. Uh, always enjoyed his work. Uh, I don't have a bad word to say about him, and he was well-loved by everybody in show business that I've heard from or read about. Um, I, I, but I Catch Rising Star was his main um, hangout in the 70s. I used to go there a lot, and it was uh, just spectacular when he would take the stage. Really great. And I remember him in movies like Groove Tube. He was in Groove Tube. He was in uh, some other things as well. And he, by the way, yeah, he was not only guest, he was he did the morning show at WNBC with Scotty Brink uh, after the original replacement for Imus didn't work out. Um, they went to a show with uh, called Brink and Belzer. The, the show so was kind of short-lived, show. wasn't it? No, it was primarily because, number one, uh, Richard, uh, apparently, as I recall, uh, because he worked into club in clubs until late at night, he would frequently not get to work until seven thirty in the morning. <laughs> I see. That'll do it. That'll do it. That didn't help. And then also, Imus came back from Cleveland uh, after his, uh, you know, he was sent sent out for a while. <laughs> came back. <laughs> you you know that's one of the things that I don't think a lot of people who are uh, you know who don't work in radio have an appreciation for is. How I don't want to use the term grueling because at the end of the day, we're not working in coal mines, but how demanding the hours can be. I remember when Mike Huckabee tried to do a nationally syndicated radio show and so did Fred Thompson. Both of them said essentially the same thing, that they were leaving doing this two or three hour a day radio show essentially because it was too hard. And then they were running for president either before or after that. And I'm thinking to myself, talk radio is too hard for these guys, but they want to be 
they want to be the person who gets to control where we send nuclear weapons. I, I, I guess well, maybe, maybe you know, if you don't have a love of radio, those hours uh, take their toll on you a lot more than they do if you're like us and you grew up listening and loving the medium. Well, you know, in reality, it's not because these guys were dopes. Um, in fact, I, I met both of them, and uh, uh, it's just that their thing is doing politics. Uh, I, I wouldn't be a very good politician. You know why? Because I have no filter. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's for sure. I that, would say anything to anyone at any time. Uh, that um, is, uh, that's for sure. A bunch of people queuing up to... Uh, talk to you. But I do have to ask, when I was, so much of what you did on the radio, at least once a week, you would do Lycus 101, where you would give your advice to help uh, men get women with minimal expense and minimal commitment. And a a lot of time-tested methods as part of Lycus 101 still hold up uh, today. Uh, When I was promoting that I was having you on today, one female listener to this show wrote to me and she said, Oh, I can't believe you're having Tom Likas on. He, I hate that guy. Well, what a misogynist. Well, he, the, the, the words <laughs> that she said was, he doesn't respect women. So uh, let me ask you that, Tom. Are, are you someone that doesn't respect women? Respecting or not respecting women. I, I, I'm not in the business of, you know, when, I, when I'm in the position of being the professor, I, I'm not looking for respect or to give respect. I'm just looking for sex which is what many men are out looking for. Um, it's not about respect. It's not about conversation. It's not about intelligence. It's about sex. How easy is it going to be to get, and how do I get you out of my house after we're done? <laughs> I guess uh, I, I think that l- the listener may have a point there. I mean, we may chalk that up to, to a no. But um, <laughs> the other thing that you became so well-known for is you would do Money Mondays, where people would call in yeah. and ask financial advice. You would point out that you were someone that yeah. essentially came from poverty and uh, became a, a self-made millionaire. And a lot of the advice that you would give was uh, very conventional, uh, sometimes in the mode of like a Dave Ramsey, not uh, putting a lot of money on your credit card and th- things like that. Other times it was very creative and very, very insightful for folks and very different from what they'd hear on conventional financial uh, advice programs. I'm curious, now that we're seeing inflation doing what it's doing and the prices of everything are skyrocketing, you go buy a carton of eggs, it's like you're buying caviar. Does the inflation issue that we're dealing with now, does that have any bearing on the kind of financial advice that you would give people who are looking to do as you did become a millionaire? No, on the contrary, I I would double down on my advice, uh, especially in times of inflation or recession. Um, You know, the fact is people waste money on so many things. Uh, I don't, for example, I, I was watching a local newscast and they were at a gas station asking people about the high price of gasoline. And here's some guy driving an F-350. Oh, man, I got to pay 120 bucks to fill this tank. Buddy, I don't see any uh, two-by-fours or any uh, gardening equipment in that pickup truck. You're just driving it around for appearances. Why do people own trucks like this? Unless they are actually doing work and they need that space to put, put lumber in or something. Why do they do it? And they waste money on DoorDash and Uber Eats and Starbucks. We can go down the list. 
So if people are looking for places to cut, there are many places they could be cutting right now, and they should. And as far as eggs are concerned, uh, sure, eggs are expensive. You don't have to eat eggs. There are many ways to get protein that are more economical, peanut butter, all kinds of nuts. Um, There are cuts of meat that are not outrageously expensive. So, uh, you know, I see these people complaining all the time, but they waste money hand over fist. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't feel sorry for many of the people complaining about the economy because there are things they could cut. They just don't. Yeah, I don't get the sense. I've never gotten the sense from you that you feel sorry for many people. <laughs> Personally. Well, well <laughs> because most people got themselves into trouble. And even after they do, they, they, they don't want any advice. They don't want to hear what anyone has to say about getting out of trouble. I don't feel sorry for those people. Uh, people argue with me all the time. For example, I'm always recommending that people have not three, not six, but a 12-month emergency fund, liquid cash. And uh, here, people were arguing with me about this. And, and, and when that pandemic uh, lockdown came along, uh, the people who had a 12-month emergency fund, they were in a lot better shape than the people who didn't. Mm. People don't like to save. They don't like to wait. They want to get their boat today or their expensive car today. They, they will go out and sign these outrageous 72-month loans to lease cars. And people waste money like there's no tomorrow. Uh, Anytime something is outrageously priced, I stop buying it. <laughs> I don't need anything that badly. Bunch of people eager to chat with you. Uh, Alex in Brooklyn, you're on with Tom Likas. Hello. Hey, Frank. Thanks for taking the call. Hi, Tom. Um, Hi. By the way, Tom, if if you would be a spokesperson for President Biden, the way you you spoke about the egg situation and the gasoline and saying that the people that are complaining are responsible because they shouldn't be getting eggs, there would be a, a lot of you know, backlash from that kind of comment of Karine Jean-Pierre would have said that kind of thing. But uh, I wanted, I wanted to ask you. I understand. I am not a, before you start down that road, uh, don't assume I'm a Democrat and that I have any particular politics that that you would even know that just so you know. Yeah. I got the point that you're making. It's, it's, it's hundred percent. It makes, it makes sense. But the thing is people are complaining that it could have not been like this if it's for some of the policies that wouldn't have been put in place. But I wanted to ask you about the radio situation and the point that Mm -hmm. you were making as for why people are stopping to listen to talk radio. I see this phenomenon is is also going on with, with television shows because I could predict to you on Fox news what the majority of the programs there, what they're going to be talking about. Um, I go, you know, I listen to an entire primetime show on Fox. And I'll maybe walk away with one new piece of information, at, but, but I still find it entertaining. And I listen to a lot of talk radio shows that are political talk shows. So, I, you know, I think the the reason why people are stopping to listen to talk radio, I think it's more about the fact that people just don't have radios in their home anymore. And uh, no, that's no, why no, it's declining. No, no, it's the other way around. What came first, the chicken or the eggs? Speaking of eggs, um, people don't have radios because they don't like the programming anymore. They don't enjoy listening to it anymore. And whether it's, yeah, people, uh, you know, uh, but there's a lot of gadgets like cameras that people aren't having anymore like they used to because you have it on your phone. Now you have podcasts on the phone. You have live streams. Right. You don't think that that's a factor? Well, well but that's the thing, Alex, is people can still listen on the stream of, and they're not, I think, is the, the point that you're making, right? 
I mean, look, the, the WABC has, has recently, the ratings have jumped dramatically. People found radios to listen to WABC, didn't they? Right, right. And, and, and you know, the, the people that are listening on the stream, those count towards the ratings the, uh, uh, the same way. Uh, 800-848-9222. Donovan is in Vancouver, Canada. Hello, Donovan. Hi, Frank, and hello, Tom, as we hello. used to say on the show. Hello. Um, I've spoken with you before on this show, and um, I first discovered your show uh, when I was in Portland in uh, 1998, and within the, the space of one week, you were talking about um, your relationship with your father on one day and then doing an interview with Dan Ingram uh, a few days later, which I was so impressed with. I, I can pretty much say what week that was in 1998. That's correct. I did an entire day with Dan Ingram on the air, my, my idol. It was a remote broadcast, I believe. You were doing a barbecue at the end of June. And yeah, you, you love radio. You call it a remote broadcast, and technically it was. But in reality, it was in the parking lot of the studio. <laughs> so I was just outside That's the great. door where I normally work. And uh, Dan Ingram, who uh, is WABC royalty as far as I'm concerned, Dan Ingram uh, was auditioning to do the morning show at K-Earth 101 here in Los Angeles. And... Uh, he was doing that show all that week, and then in the afternoon he came and sat with me for a day. And, um, you know, obviously he was spectacular. Another reason I got into the radio business in the first place. Well, and that's the question I was going to ask you, because you love radio so much, as do I. Um, is there a reason you never got into, say, programming or mentoring younger talent to get it, or did no, you? No, I did. I was program director in Albany, and I was program director in Phoenix. Yes, I was program director. Are there young talent out there right now? Like, are there people, aside from podcasts, which there's so many of, um, who can make it in talk radio? Or are we, have we lost that era? First of all, let's look at demographics. The people who believe in the politics of talk radio are 50 and over. And the people who, uh, young people who you're counting on to be the new blood, that's not their politics. So you're never going to have young talent ready to, you know, come up and compete with uh, Ben Shapiro. <laughs> there are not a lot of young people who have that political point of view. It's unfortunate because it's not about the, well, I never saw it as a politics. It was all about the entertainment. And I, I understood oh, you God, for I, what the I show you did. I from my show that, that that was the emphasis, was entertainment. But now they give you a litmus test to see, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, if I haven't said this on Frank's show, I'm going to say it now. And it's probably going to be heard uh, the other end of the universe. But I left, uh, I did my last radio show several years ago on KABC here in Los Angeles. And, uh, and I was doing a one-off, a one-day appearance. I hadn't been on in years, and I decided to take them up on the offer. I decided to do the show. So they were going to simulcast a live stream that I was doing on the Internet, and they did. And so I'm sitting in my studio in Burbank ready to go, and right before I cracked the mic open, I got a call from the program director, a gentleman named Drew Hayes. And Drew Hayes got on the phone and said to me, whatever you do, don't attack Trump. Now, I got to tell you, nobody tells me what my opinion is or is. <laughs> nobody. 
And so I went on and I attacked Trump four hours and then I never came back to radio ever. <laughs> and one very quick, and I'll let you I'll hang up, but I'll, one quick thing before you go. There was a, a story of a buddy of mine, Bill Courage, who was the morning guy on Mojo Radio for the short-lived time you were in Vancouver. And he never forgets yeah. the fact that you, um, there was some battle between you and Jeff Edwards when you were doing afternoons on KFI. And it was more of yes. a publicity stunt. It had to do with Cat Stevens. And maybe you could expand upon that. if you. Well, and Jeff Edwards never was participated in a publicity stunt. I did. And what my publicity stunt was to try to edit it down to the simplest form. Uh, when uh, Salman Rushdie, the author of the book, The Satanic Verses, was hit with a, uh, the Ayatollah launched a fatwa against Salman Rushdie. And then Cat Stevens, who was a, a Muslim, came out and said he supported that fatwa. So I came on the air and I decided that people should bring down their Cat Stevens tapes and records and CDs and that I would drive over them with a steamroll. <laughs> and I, I did. And Jeff Edwards didn't like that. I can so imagine. Uh, thank it you. It sounds like a radio stunt, but I was the only one pulling the stunt. Jeff was serious. That, that's hysterical. That's hysterical. I, I, that's an aspect of like his lore that I was unfamiliar with. Hey, uh, I know. Oh, yeah. uh, let me ask you about this. You know, speaking of both New York and California, one of the things that we have seen a lot of news coverage of recently is the exodus from both of those states. Yeah. We've seen people leaving yeah. New York and California, and some people say it's the cost of living. Some people say it's, uh, in the case of New York, the weather. That was Andrew Cuomo's big thing. People are leaving because of the weather. Some people say it's the taxes. Some people say it's the political climate. W- why? Um, what's your take on the population exodus from, uh, from New York and California? My, my take on it is, why do people care? What is this, a contest? To see who has the most people? Here in Los Angeles, people always talk about moving to Dallas or Austin or Phoenix. And my response is, good, go. More room for me on the freeway. <laughs> I, I would like to know if anybody listening out there was on the New Jersey Turnpike or the Long Island Expressway in the last few hours. If anyone would like to see less cars on the highway, you bet they would. But they all want to be number one in population. It's so important. What happened? We're less than eight million. Oh my God! What? What's the benefit to you if there's eight million people or seven point six million? Who cares? Uh, I can't and argue with that. About one. LA too, same deal. Uh, Tom, let me ask you about this because you've occasionally been the the target of. Uh, of of different groups and different people because of comments that you've made that may not be PC. Somebody that I just love as a broadcaster, I don't know your opinion of him, but I'm a big fan, in part because he doesn't seem to give a hoot about political correctness at all. He just gives his take on whatever he's talking about regardless. And that's Terry Bradshaw, right? So Terry Bradshaw, not only a, a legendary quarterback, but one of the most entertaining analysts in all of football today, so we just had the Super Bowl. I know you watched. I watched. 113 million people watched. Record numbers for the Super Bowl. And uh, Terry Bradshaw is getting. Uh, he's getting some heat for some comments he made about Andy Reid, which people said were fat shaming. This is what Bradshaw said. Let me get the big guy in here. Come on, waddle over here. <laughs> 
That was the totality of his fat shaming. He didn't ask him to go on a diet. He didn't ask. He didn't say, uh, "What you know? What are you eating for breakfast? Furniture." That was the totality of what he said. And yet, there are no shortage of. There are fifty-seven thousand nine hundred. Google results and articles that mention Terry Bradshaw fat shaming Andy Reid. Give me your take on this. There's no bad publicity, Uh, you know, unless you're Army Hammer. There's no bad publicity. And uh, they did not fire. uh, uh, I'm spacing the name. uh, Terry Bradshaw. They did not fire him. Terry Bradshaw. They did not fire him. They're not going to fire him. yeah, sure. People are going to make comments on Twitter about everything everybody says. And I know it as well as anyone. But um, as uh, if I were his agent, uh, I would probably recommend he not say things like that on a show with 115 million viewers. Mm-hmm. But still, I don't mind that he said it. I think it's fine. And I also think people will make a big stink about it. But Terry Bradshaw will be at that mic in August when they start again. No doubt about it. I know you follow sports uh, fairly closely, and now these days you root for the L.A. teams despite being from New York. By the way, why do you do that? A lot of people do carry their old-school allegiances with them when they go to a new city. You embraced your new city's teams. Well, first of all, Los Angeles did not have a team for 21 years. And um, I hate to tell you, but New York City hasn't had a team since the 80s. Yeah, <laughs> New Jersey has a team. They are too, but New York has the Buffalo Bills. That's about it. And, uh, you know, uh, as far as I'm concerned, um, you know, I, I, I just don't worry about this stuff. You know, I, don't, I, I like when uh, announcers are uh, controversial. I like when they do outrageous things. But I also know that the advertisers and what have you are very nervous. They're always very nervous. And so you have to you have to think about that when you're in front of 115 million people. But do I object to what Terry Bradshaw said? No, not the, at all. In terms of uh, one of the things that we're seeing now, in part because the NFL is one of the few TV broadcasts that's actually doing well and showing growth year over year, as the rest of uh, television is being replaced by the streaming app du jour is we're seeing the rise of these alternative football leagues. Last weekend was the first weekend of the XFL 3.0 owned by The Rock. We're seeing the USFL, which I think Fox is a partner in, they're coming back. Even arena football, uh, which has had a, a tough time getting a foothold in this country, they're coming back. Do you see any of these sort of alternative football leagues having long-term sustainability? Nope. USFL already failed once. XFL already failed after one season in the 90s. No. Uh, The networks have less scripted programming, more hours to fill, streaming channels and podcast-type content, and they need to fill time. So there'll be all these leagues created, but who's going to want to watch the – you know, the Tallahassee uh, turnips playing the uh, Oklahoma oil suckers. <laughs> not me. Not me. And we all know it's like not even B-grade football. It's C or D-grade football. It's terrible. I know so when it happens. Uh, yeah. leagues, the first weekend, there's a lot of tuning in, a lot of curiosity, and then everybody goes away. 
you don't see it being maybe like a, a minor league that could be a, uh, a get nope. a, enough of a following to uh, sustain nope. people in between NFL seasons. Nope. The, no, I don't. Last time you were on the show, we talked a little bit about Meghan Markle. She had just launched her podcast. And I think in the promo to her podcast, she had you in there as an example of one of the American voices in media that was degrading women and downgrading women. Well, uh, Prince Harry uh, just did an interview with 60 Minutes and got a seven-figure book deal where he talks about the most intimate details of his family life, his his dispute with his brother, his sex life, and uh, made clear in this uh, a whole media tour that he did as part of the book promotion that he doesn't want anything to do with the public eye or the spotlight. Now, obviously, that's totally ridiculous, and uh, that was satirized on the uh, television program South Park last week. And uh, right. Meghan Markle evidently is not pleased at the way that she was portrayed on South Park. What was your your boo hoo hoo? You know, Meghan Markle has hated me for a long time. Uh, I'll send you which you can use at will if you like. I'll send you a, a tape that came from the London paper, The Sun, where she was attacking me back when she was 19 years old. She hated me back then. And she uh, she doesn't like anyone criticizing her. And I think South Park made great points. Uh, obviously, they changed the names of uh, Harry and Meghan so they won't get sued. But they, they were obviously talking about Harry and Meghan. And, yeah, they... On the one hand, they they are constantly, constantly, constantly going on with Oprah or wherever and talking about themselves, and and then they want the public to give them privacy. And South Park caught that, and I thought it was great. Yeah, it's it's difficult to see how anybody can take their complaints about lack of privacy uh, too seriously. We're going to continue with uh, Tom Likas in a moment. We're going to get to as many of your calls as we can, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. By the way, if you want to hear more from Tom, you could subscribe to his podcast at premiumtom.com. That's premiumtom.com. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight is my great pleasure to be joined this hour by the incomparable, inimitable Tom Likas. Uh, There is no greater radio talent alive, and uh, these days he reserves his spoken word talents for the world of podcasting. You can check out his podcast at premiumtom.com. Whole bunch of people have uh, have questions for you, Tom. We'll try and squeeze in as many as we can here. Uh, Tommy is in Brooklyn. Hello, Tommy. Hey, Frank. Hey, Tom. Uh, two things hey. I want to say is the co- the comment that um, 
uh, Terry Bradshaw made, it sounded like a bit of ribbing of a friend. Uh, um, but stop the drama, grow there, you know what I mean? You know? And the other thing is, uh, for you, Tom, I got a question. Yeah, like you like that. I yeah. know you did. Uh, listen, did. Uh, nice hearing from you. I, I like your, your no BS, your no apology attitude. That's pretty cool, you know? Uh, but how do you stay Thank disciplined you. on spending, you know? Uh, lately, I've been, you know, I've been, I've been wasting money like crazy and putting myself into a huge hole. Now I'm looking for a ladder to get out. What's your secret? Well, my secret is I don't waste money on stupid things that don't add to my life in any way, and that includes leaving the lights on in a room after I leave. I'm a multi, a self-made multimillionaire, but I will tell you, I like to save money like anybody else. So, these people, I go to their house, they've got. TVs on in three rooms, and they've got lights on everywhere. Um, there's all kinds of ways we can cut back. Um, and I, I'm not ashamed to pick a dime up off the sidewalk. In fact, I picked one up off the sidewalk the other day. I picked up a nickel this morning. There, there you go. go. Hopefully Uncle Sam doesn't hear about uh, the fortune that either of you have come into in the last 24 hours. Right. 800-848-9222. Sky is in Texas. Hello, Sky. Hi, I'm, I used to listen to Tom every day, Flash Friday, and I love the commercials where at the end of the commercial, you would talk about, we want to put our meat in your mouth. So I listened to him, and it was great. <laughs> yeah. I would listen, and I, and I kept listening, hoping that commercial would come on, because the commercial sounds so real, and then at the end, it said, we want to put our, our meat in your mouth. So keep it up. And now I know about the podcast. I'm going to start listening to it. Yeah, premiumtom.com, Sky. Uh, Tom, I'm wondering if you could, we only have about a minute or two left here, but if you could speak to the effort that you would put into in doing live reads. I've seen a lot of radio stations kind of encourage their talent to downplay the live reads to give them only 60 seconds don't go anything over and i think that's a very poor approach i'm curious uh as to how you approach the world of live reads well um you know live reads were my bread and butter reading live commercials my bread and butter um i do think there are i had limits though to what i would accept in my contract uh for example I refused to do any commercials for anything that made a medical claim because I didn't want to get sued. You know, to say that a certain diet pill or meal plan is going to, you're going to lose 22 pounds in a month, or to say that uh, a baldness remedy is, is safe and effective. I, I, I stayed away from those. And as a result, I stayed away from lawsuits my whole career. There was pressure on me to do it, but I, I didn't. But live spots are critical. And I, in fact, I think it's part of uh, what makes a radio station sound great is when you have great live commercials. Well, I, I'm with you on that. Igor, oh, no, we're not going to have time. Igor, we'll get you on with Tom next time that uh, next time that he's on. Tom, it has been a delight. Uh, the hour just flies by whenever you're kind enough to join me on the radio. And I hope we could do this again soon. It's a lot of fun being on with you, Frank. I enjoy it, and I enjoyed all the callers, and uh, it's just a pleasure. Uh, check them out, premiumtom.com, and for all time's sake, thank you, uh, Blow Me Up Tom. Uh, you can check out blowmeuptom.com as well. A ton of great content on there. Hey, um, speaking of women, speaking of celebrities, speaking of controversies, have you followed this Tiger Woods controversy 
this tampon prank. Are you up on this? Well, uh, yeah, I am. Well, we'll tell you about it in uh, just a minute. Uh, this is the other side of midnight. Until next hour, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Interest in watching professional golf is zero. If possible, it's less than zero. And I, I know golf is a challenging sport, and I know it's something that a lot of people really enjoy. My dad is a big golfer; he loves it. And uh, I have several siblings that golf. My buddy Joe Borelli, always with the golfing, uh, golf, golf, golf. I love. And look, I um, I have been, I have been out on the golf course not in years. But I've been on, out on the golf course with my dad before, and I can see the appeal. I can see the appeal of, uh, you know, it's very serene. I can see the appeal that the game is challenging and you have to really work hard to get decent at it. You know, I was talking with Andrew Giuliani about it yesterday because he's or, – or yeah, yesterday – because he's a scratch golfer. He's, uh, he was a pro. And he re- well, he was a pro. He recently applied to get his amateur status back. That's uh, that's another story. But he uh, and I were talking about the appeal of of golf, and I get it. I get it. I it's not for me. It's not something. It's not how I want to spend my time. And I love competition. I love sports. I love skills that you can improve at. I prefer ping pong. I prefer pickleball. I prefer softball. Uh, even flag football. Golf. Just not for me. The the thing that I have, it's just, it takes so much time that I really don't have to become even decent enough to play it that I'm not into it. Not into it. And I'm certainly not into watching it on television. I think the last time I watched it was literally probably about 25 years ago when I wanted to put something quiet and peaceful on in the hopes of getting a nap. I'm not joking. That's what I put on. That was the last time I watched it. Well, this week, obviously, though, I know who Tiger Woods is because of his, he's got, he had the kind of celebrity and prowess in the world of golf that Michael Jordan had in basketball, that Michael, that Mickey Mantle had in baseball, that Joe Namath had in football, which is to say that The Rock had in pro wrestling which is to say a degree of success and fame and excellence that transcends the sport. He became a celebrity beyond being a golfer. Then, obviously, his issues with, uh, you know, with relationships were well-documented. His possible issues with addiction were well-documented that he came back from that. Then he gets into a very serious accident. Didn't look like he was ever going to golf again. He comes back from that. So the Tiger Woods story is an interesting story and one that I am very eager to watch. Not eager to watch it enough to turn the get, the golf match on, but it, I'm eager to read about it, right? Because it's just great drama. So, 
Drama is certainly something that is never lacking in Tiger Woods' world. The golf legend has been blasted by women, by everybody, pretty much. Women's empowerment groups, former Olympic great Michael Johnson, for something that he did Thursday at the Genesis Invitational in what marked his first PGA Tour in seven months. So this was initially reported by TMZ, but now it's been reported everywhere. He essentially did a gag uh, where he handed another golfer, Justin Thomas, a tampon after out driving him on the ninth hole. Meaning, you know, he and Justin Thomas are are, are friends. They're kind of friendly rivals, meaning um, he hit the ball farther than Justin Thomas. So as he is passing Justin Thomas, and this is all being watched on television by millions of people. Everything Tiger Woods does is watched by millions of people. He, Tiger Woods, hands Justin Thomas a tampon. And then both of them laugh, and they hug. Now, my read on that, because I was talking about this with someone else before, off-air, who, who works here, and I don't want to out this person, but he that, that he was saying to me, I don't understand what he was even trying to do. My read on that was this was a little bit of macho jocularity, right? This was Tiger Woods essentially saying that Justin Thomas was playing like a girl because he didn't hit the ball as far as Tiger Woods did. Everybody, everybody, you know, everybody that was present didn't have a problem with it. So the women's groups, the transgender groups, other Olympic athletes, they're killing them on this. Kara Sugar, the CEO of the Women's Global Empowerment Fund, said Wood's gag was misogynistic and tone deaf, excuse me, tone deaf and straight up disrespectful to women and girls all over the world. She questioned she continued questioning if Woods is insinuating that periods are embarrassing or shameful or a sign of weakness. No. He was saying Justin Thomas was hitting the golf ball like a girl. That's what he was saying. Now, initially, I saw this reported on TMZ a day or two ago, and I was initially going to skip it. I was going to say, I am not doing another story about the Twitter mob wanting someone canceled for doing something silly or fun. I'm not going to do it. Then... All these credible groups and athletes start calling Tiger Woods out on this. Um, Michael Johnson, the Olympian, slammed Tiger Woods and took issue with uh, with Tiger Woods' apology, which we'll get to in a minute. And um, I, so now it's not just these Twitter jerks that are pouncing on Tiger Woods, handing Justin Thomas the tampon. These are reputable people and organizations. I'm curious, am I missing something here? Is there something wrong with what Tiger Woods has done? I don't think so. 800-848-9222. While a lot of people were criticizing Tiger Woods and beating up on him over this, there were some people that were defending him. The pro-golfer-turned-influencer Paige Spiranak 
She's a golfer, too, that has transcended the world of golf. She She's a real beauty. I think she's a model. She's one of these people with 10 million Instagram followers that uh, takes a picture with a golf club and, you know, all of a sudden they pay her $500,000 for that Instagram post. This is what she tweeted, Paige Spiranak, a woman. If anyone tries to cancel Tiger over this, we riot. It's funny. Well, the Women's Global Empowerment Fund didn't think so. Woods uh, is 47 years old. He's got a 15-year-old daughter. And the group, the Women's Empowerment, the whatever group, the Women's Global Empowerment Fund said the intended joke, in quotation marks, joke does not set a good example for her, meaning his daughter, and distracts from how women and female athletes handle their periods while living life normally. Alejandra Bernard is a golf coach and mentor, and she was on News Nation defending Tiger Woods as well. This is obviously something between two friends on the golf course. You know, they're trying to have fun. Golf is competitive and frustrating right. sport. Right. Uh, but at the same time, as an avid golfer myself who plays with a lot of men, uh, we try to make light of the fact that golf is difficult and we play pranks on each other. I personally played that same prank on a male golfer myself about a year ago where I gave a tampon to a guy. I personally didn't take it as an offense to women or myself personally. Uh, and it's probably because I'm just used to playing with a lot of men. But I just think that there are a lot more pressing issues in the world. Yes. than Making a big deal about something like this that I just find as humorous. So do I. And I am amazed that there are so many people that don't. Well, obviously, look, Tiger Woods lives and dies by these endorsements, right? And if he gets canceled, and he's already been pseudo-canceled before, but he's been able to make something of a, a comeback so he's not toxic to Madison Avenue and so forth. But if he's able to make a pseudo-comeback and he wants to make his living with endorsements and that kind of a thing, then this is potentially very problematic. So what do you do? You apologize, right? This is what Tiger Woods said at a press conference apologizing for an innocuous prank that the so-called victim of the prank was not the least bit offended by. He was Tiger Woods. Your joke with JT from 9 yesterday is kind of going viral. Can you kind of just explain your thoughts behind it? Yeah, it was supposed to be, you know, a fun and games, but obviously it's, it hasn't turned out that way. And if I offended anybody, it was not the case. It was just... Uh, friends having having fun, and uh, as I said, if, if I offended anybody in any way, shape, or form, I'm sorry. Uh, it was not intended to be that way. Uh, it's just you know, we, we play pranks on one another all the time, and uh, virally, I, I think this did not come across that way. But between us, it was it's different. Fine, fine, okay, should be done with. Over, signed, sealed, delivered. Turn the page. Well. Olympian Michael Johnson said, he tweeted the following, Apology starting with, if I offended anyone, is no apology. But this is Tiger. Never been a leader, and he's Teflon. Still heralded after all the mistakes, so he's learned nothing. Media focus always on miraculous recovery. Never why the need for recovery. So not everyone is accepting this apology. I'm curious what you think of this initial prank if you did think it was offensive and i'm curious what you think of the apology i thought the apology was fine because clearly 
the person that he was playing the prank on didn't care. So I thought his framing of it as, oh, if anyone was offended by this, sorry. I thought that's a fine apology to make. Um, 800-848-9222. Sports Illustrated, headline, Tiger Woods' tampon prank was no laughing matter. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. They both, as evidenced by the fact that they both laughed and hugged, they both found it funny. I mean, give them a break. Now, I thought this was kind of just an open and shut case of extreme silliness, but I was talking to one of the other people here, and they said to me, given Tiger Woods' past and all the issues that he's had with women, knowing that you're going to be on camera, why would you do it? Why would you take an unnecessary risk like that? And I honestly don't think it was something that he gave a lot of thought to. I just think it was something that he was doing to bust chops. I mean, I don't you if you are offended by this, you should see some of the things that uh, that my colleagues and I do to one another. You don't even want to know. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. 1-800-848-9222. USA Today headline. Tiger Woods, a 47-year-old girl dad, um, pull. Uh, let's see, I got cut off there, pulls a bizarre tampon stunt. Is it really bizarre? You just heard from Alejandra Bernard, the female golf coach, that says she's done this same thing. So, uh, I, I, I mean, look, I think it's silly, but the fact that Tiger Woods apologized, it should make it over. And the fact that there are some people that are not accepting this apology, I think that's pretty lame, to be honest with you. 800-848-9222. Tell me what you think. And then um, a little bit later, in about uh, 10 minutes or so, we're going to go through the mail. So if you want to send me some emails to potentially be read on the air, you can do so at frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Frank Morano. That's Frank M O R A N O. Matt Blaze, you look like you had an opinion on this Tiger Woods situation, or did that deceive? Was I deceived by your? I'm offended, Frank, that you're not offended. How could you not be offended by this? Yeah, I'm not offended by much. <laughs> by Tiger Woods with the tampon. All right, so you're offended. Yeah, I don't know how. He, how what are you doing? How could he do something like this? Um, it makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, it's just a joke. Are you sure? Yeah. He wasn't making a big statement? No, I mean, so you you genuinely think this is a big deal? No. I no, don't. you don't. Okay. I think it's ridiculous. Right, okay. He's, right. Of course he's making a joke. It's two friends, and don't you know, Frank, you're not allowed to make gender jokes anymore. You can't do anything. Uh, this is, uh, as uh, Bob would say, the, the, the world is sick and getting sicker. Uh, this is just bizarre to me that anyone cares about this um, in a negative way. I mean, it's the kind of thing that I, I think is kind of standard in sports all the time. You see things like this all the time. I don't think this is a big deal at all. And when uh, Alejandra Bernard said that, um, about the tampon, she said, I did this as a joke. Right. That's what I just said. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it goes to show you how common this kind of thing is in the world of golf and 
competitive sports. And as yeah. she was saying, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, hey, I wonder if a woman ever did that. And as soon as – next thing you know, she says, I've done this to a guy. It's a joke. We're yeah. kidding around. All right. Well, yeah, so that's that. I, I think we're we're on the same page. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. Uh, we're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Fan. Uh, that's Facebook.com slash Morano fan. I don't always see the Facebook messages that people send me on there. Sometimes I say I see them a week later. It's very weird. When I try to click on the messages to read them, it brings me to a separate page. It's very clunky, very clunky. Twitter is very easy. I see the direct messages right away. So if you want to make sure that I actually see your message, the best thing you could do is email me, frank.morano at uh, wabcradio.com. Charles is in Queens. Give me your take on this, Charles. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I feel that starting off with if is not an apology, and he did not want to apologize. He didn't think he had anything to apologize for. In other words, it's something like somebody did a crime, allegedly did a crime, and they're telling him he swears he's innocent. Take a plea. In other words, admit you're guilty for something less. Well, people do do that. Actually, games. people he do do apologize. that. It's, he I, apologize. it's called an Alfred plea. Uh, people actually do do that uh, from time to time. They they say, of they do, sure. yeah, uh, thank you. They say even though um, I don't, I didn't commit this crime. I am pleading guilty. They call it an Al- Alfred plea. Paul is on Staten Island. Hello, Paul. Hey, Frank. Good morning. Morning. Listen. Good morning. morning. I don't think he should apologize for anything. It's a joke between him and his buddies playing golf with. If anybody has a problem with it, they should pull the broomstick out of their rear end. Plain and simple. <laughs> All right. Well, well, Paul, what do you say to these groups who say that um, he's making light of uh, issues like women having their periods and things like that? Women make make light of, of having their periods. So who, who why should they? I mean, women joke about it. Who, who are these groups to, to even uh, congregate about it? They're sitting around just waiting for something to happen. It's like they got no life. You know, Paul, that's such a good point. Thank you, Paul. You know what I said, and I was, I was, I was really, I was criticized for this, and I am, the, I, I'm a pretty tough person to criticize. But I said uh, with the Whoopi Goldberg comments about the Holocaust, I said the, the fact that the Anti Defamation League raced to be offended by this. I made the same point. You have all these groups that exist, whatever the group is, the, uh, the, the group of, um, you know, bald broadcasters from North Dakota, whatever the group is, or uh, the, uh, the, the uh, Italian American civil rights league, the uh, Asian American defense league, the NAACP, whatever the group is, you have all these groups that live to look for something that they can pounce on, that they can pounce on and demonstrate severe and immediate outrage to, because that's how the the Catholic League, for instance, and again, some of these are groups that I like, but Bill Donahue made a big thing about uh, Disney recently, right? They, they, They live to be outraged because by getting outraged, look, we're talking about them on the radio, they get quoted in the paper, they get invited on TV, and their the visibility for their group grows. And they're able to grow their fundraising lists, and they're able to use these scandals as an opportunity to fundraise. So to Paul's point, these groups are kind of waiting around to be offended. But just because they're waiting around to be offended doesn't mean 
that what Tiger Woods wasn't offen- did wasn't offensive. So I'm curious, are you offended? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Gina is in Brooklyn. Hello, Gina. Hi, Frank. Frank, I'm not offended, but I think it was in poor taste. He could have given him a lipstick or a bobby pin, and it would have had the same message. Yeah, um, I, but do you think he would get the same criticism if he had done the lipstick? The bobby pin, I think, is a little more subtle because the bobby pin is such a useful tool. But if he gave him lipstick, do you think that would that he'd be getting the same criticism? No. That's why I'm saying I think his idea of what's funny was in poor taste. I see. I see, I do. I think if he gave him some lipstick, I think um I think you'd have people making the same sort of criticisms, maybe not the 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 period aspect of it, but uh where the claiming that he's not respecting women or belittling women in sports. But maybe you're right. Look, I, I think though you're applying a level of forethought to this prank. That just wasn't there. I think it was something that he thought about for all of 30 seconds before doing it. But I'm glad you mentioned that, Gina. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Igor is in New Jersey. Hello, Igor. Hey, greetings, Frank. Uh, So I agree with you. I'm not offended myself. But I disagree with the fact you say it wasn't sort of thought out. Because I I don't think this is something he has in his golf bag just for the hell of it. Yeah. Well, But I think it's pretty easy to get, right? Aren't they in most bathrooms these days? Yeah, but he's on the course, Frank. You know, I mean, listen, he he put some thought in this. He had a, he had one of these in his bag just in case he wanted to show somebody up. I don't have no problem with it, but I think it was obviously thought about All beforehand. Right. Well, you might be right. You might be right. I, I think it was – it might be the kind of thing that he does all the time. But, I, I mean, I really – I can't speak to that. I, that's my supposition. You might be right. But you don't think it's a big deal? No, not at all. No, it's between two guys. Listen, if the other fellow – Took it in, in uh, you know, took it in, in good spirit, then that's all that counts, really. Right, right. Who cares? That's the thing. I, I just, thank you. You know, it's funny. I, um, I'm reminded, I don't want to mention names here because I don't want to cause anybody any problems, but there was a news anchor um, years ago that had some issues with his wife. And um, not in New York, so don't think it's somebody in New York. And this was in, uh, well, I don't want to say the market because you'll be able to figure it out. This is a nice guy, and I think he listens to the show sometimes, so I don't want to cause him any embarrassment. But he he had some issues with his wife that got into the paper, and it was very public. And he lost jobs because of this situation with his wife. And he was fired from a very well-paying job that he had at at a local TV station, and has had a tough time making a transition into another field of media because everyone said, oh, no, 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 we can't touch so-and-so. He's toxic because of that news that broke with his wife. And so many people said to me, oh, well, I can't believe they're giving I – mean, I'm just going to call this guy Lenny. His name is not Lenny. I can't believe they're giving Lenny a hard time when clearly his wife took him back, but – he still can't get a job over it. And that's the way I kind of feel about this is if, if Justin Thomas is not offended, if he's in on the joke, why, why are people even bothering getting worked up over this? 800-848-9222. Simon is in Brooklyn. Hello, Simon. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go back to the, um, the New York issue. Um, we, we spoke about 
Um, do you know Carl Icahn was a big New York? Uh, he has a fund, a major fund with four thousand. Yeah, he, he owns uh, several properties in Atlantic City. Yeah, yeah. So he during COVID, before COVID, he 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 approached Como. He said, "Come on, let's get rid of the state tax. Like, give me a deal, and I want to stay here. But my, you know, my, my gonna, everything's going to go to the state. Half of the money's going to the state. Give my guys a, a break." So he basically um, said, "No, I'll give you a free dinner." It was in the papers. And I think the this this whole thing started years ago, in the 2000, let's say 2013, when people, you know, the state tax and another tax, and then um, people started leaving. They went to Texas, they went to Miami, and now I, I was in Miami a week ago. You can't believe it. I'm this is the most the astute analysis of the Tiger like, Woods like, situation like that I've heard from anybody. They're replacing in the city. Four days but, of um, following the funds the moved there. Yeah, I mean, Goldman and. I can't believe it's I incredible. didn't think of this. You cannot. It's yeah. unbelievable what they, what's going on, and if they're going to come back, you, it's all about trust. I yeah. think if they have a if they have a government who's going to say, you know what, we'll work something out, we'll give you a break here, we'll give you a break here, and you have a, it, and you, it's all about trust. Simon, I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah. Look, I I think they'll come and back. I, they'll come back eventually, but well, we'll see. You right? You hope so. The 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 shame of it is is that the, the wealthy people. Even the upper middle class people that are leaving these states, they provide an enormous tax base. You know, when the hedge fund magnate Dave Tepper moved out of the state of New Jersey, they had to essentially recalculate their whole annual budget. Now, I do think Dave Tepper ended up moving back, but the point is still the same is Michael Bloomberg used to make a big deal about this. When people would criticize him about rolling out the welcome mat for the wealthy, he said, yes, we want the wealthy in. And Eric Adams kind of does the same thing. De Blasio, not so much. But um, he said, look, we want the wealthy here because they pay the bulk of the taxes. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that's that's a fair point, but not necessarily related to this. 800-848-9222. Jack is on uh, WCBM in Baltimore. Hello, Jack. Hey, I love your show, man. Thank I love you. it, Frank. That's Thanks. awfully nice of you. Yeah, you know what? What 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 happened was when um when uh, a tiger gave him the tampon, he actually whispered in in his ear, "This is for a hole in one." Did he really say that? Is that true? I think so. I, I that 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 would make them really go crazy. It could be, you know. That, yeah, I, I think exactly you made that up. Said. I think you made that up. But I, I'm not really <laughs> offended by that either. How dare you? Thank you, Jack. I appreciate that. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Leo is on the Upper East Side. Hello, Leo. Good morning, Frank. Morning. I I think exactly the same. I don't actually think that he owes somebody apology. This was private joke between two friends. And I would be actually mad that somebody uh, posted on on internet and spread it in craziness. But I have I have different sense of humor. I got from James Gordon actually complained because I said on the head on the air that uh, Mr. Pelosi should put a car in a garage and get hammered at home. Well, it was like yeah, I have bad yeah. sense of humor. Right, I can understand that. Well, th- and thank you, Leo. This all was broadcast live on TV. So if this was something that Tiger Woods was hiding, he wouldn't have done it while he was, you know, being filmed on live television. So I don't think it's a question of, oh, I'd be mad at the person that that posted this on the Internet. This was on TV for the whole world to see. 
I mean, look, he didn't make a big show of it, but you could definitely tell. 800-848-9222. Loretta is in New Rochelle. Hello, Loretta. Hi, Frank. Hi. Um, well, I, um, I, I hate the cancel culture. I'll start with that. And I don't think Tiger Woods should be canceled for this. But I do, I do agree with one of your callers that said it kind of was in poor taste because it was being televised. Like, if he pulled the prank in the locker room, mm. you know, it's a different story. But I don't know. I just think a tampon is kind of like like a very personal thing. And he has daughters. Like, I just it's that's the distinction I make. If he had done it in the locker room with just, you know, his buddies, um, that's fine. But he knew it was going to be caught on mm. camera. And I just think it was kind of in poor taste. Now, my husband plays golf. He has, like, 12 good golf buddies, and the jokes and pranks they play on each other are, like, outrageous. Well, tell but us one. they're not being televised. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. Tell us one. Give us one example of a prank or a joke they play on each other. Oh, gosh. I can't think on the spot, but they are just, like, constantly joking around. You know, um, it's just... They they like to rag on each other like constantly. They it's it's like it's like a thing. They hardly ever talk normally. They're just constantly ragging on each no, other. All in good fun. Trust that's me, what yeah. they do. I, I have a, a group of friends like that too. It's interesting to me that both you and the the prior caller Gina, who you know I've spoken to both of you before. You're both very intelligent, and reasonable people that don't rush to hysterical points of view. Both no, of you essentially I'm the opposite. Right. <laughs> Uh, both of you essentially said the the same thing, which leads me to think that maybe there is a gender divide on this. Maybe women view this much more severely than than I think men. So do. because it's not the men that have to use them, yeah. you know. So yeah. women use them. It's not actually. I wouldn't say it's unpleasant, but it's not the most pleasant thing in the world. So uh, it's like like the other like the same caller I think said if it was like a lipstick a mascara right even a little a little cute pair of panties I I, I think would be fine it's just a tampon is kind of like icky you know that's what I think women don't like about it what about I, his apology but, did you think his apology was okay or do you agree with Olympian Michael Johnson that it that because he began it with if anyone was offended that it was not okay. I think it's okay because he he just doesn't see how it's it's wrong, you know. So he he can't really make a, a full apology because he he's trying to, but he doesn't see that there's any there was anything wrong with it. Right. But especially the fact that he has young daughters, you know. I I just I don't know. There's just something icky about it. I don't want him canceled. It's no big deal. But there's just something that's a little icky. Well, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, hey, maybe I'm getting an education here, Loretta. Thank you. Have a good day. And uh, when you think of some of those jokes that your husband and uh, his golf mates pull on one another, I'd love to hear them. I, I love a good prank. I really do. And uh, whether I'm the recipient of it or whether I'm the prankster, I'm all about it. Uh, my wife, she's not. <laughs> she's not about it. She discourages me from pulling pranks on people. I I absolutely love it. I I will laugh and uh especially if I'm the victim. You know, I think you could tell I have a pretty good sense of humor about uh self-ridicule. I will say though that um look, it is interesting. The two very intelligent women that called, they both said that this was in very poor taste and that he shouldn't have done it. Maybe. Maybe. Um, you can call in if you want, if you have further comment. Otherwise, we'll we'll move on. 
I think it's a shame that this has become such a big deal. I think even after the poor guy apologizes, he's got to deal with all this guff from people for what happened. I, I think people just need to lighten up. In fact, somebody just sent me an SMS text message to that effect. Uh, this person said, on Tiger, people are way too sensitive. They need to get over themselves. I think um, I think there's some truth to that, honestly. 800-848-9222. We'll go through your mail correspondence straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. song called Real. I'd love to help the world. This is from William Shatner's 2004 album, Has Been, which is, I think, one of his best albums, actually. And this is a duet that he does with Brad Paisley. And I actually asked Shatner about this on Saturday in Englewood when I saw him. I asked him, you know, people expect you to be the characters that you play, but you're just a regular person. And there was a whole movie with that premise called Free Enterprise, which I can't recommend enough. And this song really hits home. It's about, you know, he wishes he could fight Klingons and uh, arrest bad guys and get and uh, try murder cases. But he's just a regular person. And uh, I really, this really struck a chord with me. I really enjoyed this. Let me hear a little more of this. Sorry to disappoint you, but I'm Terrific. With uh, William Shatner and Brad Paisley. So I'll tell you, last night or yesterday morning, whatever the case may be, I had what I think people would describe as a mediocre showing in presidential trivia. Mediocre showing, right? So um, maybe a little better than mediocre, right? Who else is getting David Rice Atchison? It was embarrassing that I, I couldn't think of the two presidents that were served in the army during World War II. That was a little embarrassing. You know, it was uh, it was a fatigue-induced trivia performance yesterday. So, anyway, yesterday, off-air, Kenneth asks me two very good presidential trivia questions. One I got wrong, one I got right, but they're very good questions. And I said, why didn't you ask these on-air? These would have fit right in with what we're doing. So, literally, just now, in the break... Just now, Kenneth comes in and whips out three very good presidential trivia questions, which I answered correctly instantly 
But now, who's going to believe me if I tell you that? Now, he could have very easily done that on the air. And I would have looked as bright as I am pretending to be. But we had to do it privately. So know that, uh, you know, it's like the, the, these batting practice home run champions that are, are, are you, know, you show up all early, the ballpark, you watch batting practice, they're hitting the tar out of the ball. They're hitting home run after home run, and then, of course, they go one for four with a uh, bloop single during the actual game. That, that's basically me. And, uh, but I blame Kenneth because he could have posed these questions on the actual radio instead of, you know, instead of waiting. All right. Come on, Kenny. Exactly. All right. Um, without further ado, some of you prefer the written word to the phone call. So we will get to as many of your letters as possible as we go through. Letters. Oh, we get letters. We get your letters every day. Mailman, mailman, mail today. Reach right in and pull one out. Those letters. This letter comes to us. This is snail mail. This comes to us from Sarah, no last name, in the Bronx. And uh, by the way, if you ever want to send us some snail mail, you can absolutely do that. We are at uh, P.O. Box 1775, uh, right? 1777, excuse me. P.O. Box 1777, uh, New York, New York. And then let me get you the zip code. Uh, P.O. Box 1777, New York, New York, 10163. 10163. Just think of the year after the revolution. P.O. Box 1777, New York, New York, 10163. Send it to my attention, Frank Morano. Uh, And that is precisely what Sarah has done. Sarah, no last name, in the Bronx, sends me very nice handwriting on Sarah here. Uh, Let's see. All right. She sends me this letter, which reads, Frank Morano. You have a habit of raising your voice when you want to make a point. You sound like an old woman with her period. I need to change the channel. I cannot listen to you. Please take elocution lessons. Your voice should be on a lower pitch and modulated in order for your audience to feel comfortable listening to you. Well, uh, Sarah. Okay. Well, thank you, Sarah. I, uh, I will take this as the constructive criticism with which it's offered. You know, I'd love to say this is the first time that I've heard this, but I've heard this from other people. So maybe Sarah's got a point. I'll make a little bit of an effort to work on this. But I'll be honest, when I speak on the radio, I am not really thinking about how this is going to come across generally, right? I'm just kind of, it happens to be the way that I speak. Whether I get excited, whether I get loud, whether I get, you know, silly, it's just the way that I speak. So... I'm sorry if some people don't care for it, but uh, I get it. All right, this is from, I don't know who this is from. This person did not sign it. Um, Oh, this is Gina in Brooklyn. I'm not sure if this is the same Gina that called earlier. Frank, don't tell me you use bobby pins when you can't find paper clips. What kind of tool? Be careful if you scrape wax out of your ears with bobby pins, okay? I like Matt Blaze's opinions. He sounds real. You sound radio, but that's why I listen. Well, there you have it. So uh, come for Frank Morano, stay for Matt Blaze. 
Linda writes, hi, Frank. I On the subject of Tiger Woods, this is email. Uh, hi, Frank. I agree with you. I believe it is just silly because of all the wokeness going on now. There are always some people who are going to be offended about everything and anything. I also agree with the woman golf coach. However, I believe it would be offensive if a man gave a tampon to a woman under similar circumstances. That would be a different story for a number of reasons. I agree with that, by the way, Linda. What puzzles me is that Tiger Woods would not realize that if seen by others, this would be an issue. I'm just wondering if this was possibly intentional. Huh. Hadn't heard that before. I don't follow golf, but I wonder if this was a way to get back in the spotlight. Some people do think whatever type of attention one gets is better than none. I don't know about how Tiger Woods is in this regard. He should have done it privately to avoid any of the silly wokeness. Take care. Great show. Linda. Well, look, I don't. I would be shocked if he did this just for the publicity. Because ultimately, if Tiger Woods wants publicity again, the best thing he can do is play golf well, right? Uh, I think that's the best way. All right, this is from Marianne in Indiana. Dear Frank, I think Don Lemon offended women by his remark about Nikki Haley is past her prime comment. This is saying to me, men never get past their prime. Don Lemon offended me on CNN compared to the... Tiger Tampon Gate. Ciao, Marianne in Indiana. Thank you, Marianne. This is a lengthy letter, but I'm going to read this. This is critical of one of my favorite listeners to this show. And the person who gives, I think, the best conversation starters in the Facebook group. If you want to see what I mean, just go on Facebook and search Morano Radio Fans and Haters and join the group. And just about every day, Ellen post a summary of her opinion on the show. And I think it's great. It's a great way to start the conversation. It's a great way for uh, people to know what was on the show. If you like certain things and you don't like others, you can go back and listen. And I have a guy that does this to me via email every day, but it's not really serving the same purpose. I say to him, why don't you post this in the Facebook group? Because sometimes he has very intelligent things to say. Sometimes he doesn't. But um, I I like that it's a conversation starter about the show. And so as far as I'm concerned, Ellen is just tops. So... I take umbrage with anybody that would dare criticize Ellen, but i got to give a sounding board to all points of view. Uh, Tom writes, this is what he writes. Ellen wrote, quote, I listened to whomever was on WOR, Imus, and a Jewish radio show, but they were in the background allowing me to think. And then he adds, after the quote, I listened to brackets, whomever was on WOR. The whole bracketed clause is the object of the preposition to. Therefore, the subject of the verb was in the clause. Every verb must have a subject, should be in the pronoun who, not whom. Who is nominative, whom is objective. In spoken English and social media, it's perfectly okay to always use who, even if correct grammar calls for whom. If you have to analyze it while speaking, just say who all the time. No one will fault you. In writing, it's not okay if you're writing for the New Yorker, for example, or maybe even the SI Advance. But what's not okay, whether spoken or written, and what I can't stand is someone like Ellen who fancies herself all educated, taking the pretentious hoity-toity route and being wrong. That makes her a foolish poser. Also... Why does she get away with posting threads about anything that's on her mind, usually something Jewish, while you demand that others only post about something that was discussed on the show? Are there special rules for groupies? Well, and this person is also Jewish who wrote this. 
But um, there's special rules for Ellen. Ellen really gets me more than I think any other listener. She kind of gets the appeal to this show. She makes an effort to listen to all four hours. She analyzes all four hours. The overwhelming majority of the time, she's incredibly literate. Uh, she is. She really gets everything we're trying to do with this show. And uh, there are special rules for Ellen. If Ellen wants to post off topic, she has my blessing to do so. But it, it, it takes work to get to being an Ellen-level poster. Um, and she's not really off topic. Even when she's supposedly off topic, it's it's kind of the kind of thing that we would do on this show. All right. Uh, Jody, who's also a great listener who I've met in person, who's a delightful person. She writes, subject, subscription charge on your Apple TV. This is about my son, my one-year-old, getting a hold of the remote control and spending $80 to get the Major League Soccer package when I don't watch Major League Soccer. I'm not home right now. I hope he's not up crawling around ordering the golf package. Thank you, Carmine. This is what Jody writes. I didn't hear anyone suggest this, but you could dispute the charge with your credit card company for the soccer programming that Carmine unknowingly signed you up for. I've done this before with Apple apps on my phone and received a refund. Or you could also contact the Apple customer service. I think there may be a law about how many days you have to cancel a subscription. Jody. Well, that's good advice, actually. Uh, Lori writes on the subject of my son not wanting to drink milk from a sippy cup. Lori writes... My son had a bottle till he was three. Sometimes they just need the comfort of a bottle. No need to respond. Smiley face. Um, This person, uh, who didn't give his or her name, puts in some music requests for his or her birthday later in the week. And then adds, P.S. Saturday's show with Tony Orlando was excellent. My mom loved Dionne Warwick. Bless Burt Bacharach. Well... I'm glad you feel that way, <laughs> unnamed person. I hope you will call Tony Orlando and let him know how much you enjoy this show as well. Um, all right. Mike writes, our, our future with AIs. Hello, Frank. I always enjoy it when you discuss the topic of AIs. The more they intertwine with humanity, the more concerns I have. We've become so dependent in our everyday lives on these devices, and as a result, the more our skills diminish. Today, when we operate them, in so many ways, they provide us with an easier life, and yet they weaken us with our dependency. These AIs should be nothing more than tools to make the human experience easier and more efficient. Nothing more, nothing less. I, I tend to agree. Uh, Charlotte writes on the subject of Ozempic. Hi, Frank. My daughter is a PA, physician's assistant, working in a weight loss practice. She has patients on Ozempic, but only the diabetic ones. She noticed how well they were doing on their diets. Others in the practice were using it for patients who were not diabetic. However, the insurance companies have now put an end to ordering it for non-diabetics. Also, there's currently a shortage of the drug. Yeah, that goes hand in hand with what we heard with um, some of the people yesterday saying. Jill writes, "It's, it's too soon to take the bottle away. Carmine relaxes when he's sucking on the bottle. It has nothing to do with the sippy cup. If he were older, I would agree about the bottle, but he's not too yet. Thank you, Jill. All right, this is the last one I'll read. There's some other good ones here, but this is the last one I'll read in the interest of time. Peter writes, Frank, I enjoy your programs very much, and I congratulate you on your growing popularity. It's well-deserved given the quantity of time you devote to preparation. A few years ago, I tried giving up alcohol for Lent, doing it in honor of a friend dying from ALS. I was partially successful. 
Since then, I know my daily consumption has increased. One or two scotches or three has become a norm. As you, too, prepare for Lent, I wonder if you can share one or two ideas on how I can, one, make it all the way to Easter without alcohol, or two, sharply reduce my intake. I don't think I need counseling, but someone with smarts to give me, in a few words, a firm kick in the behind. Have a blessed Lent, Peter. Yeah, look, I mean, I don't drink three scotches a day, but it's primarily because I have these crazy hours and I have a radio show to do every day and then a, a, a toddler to care for. But on the weekend, I do three, four, maybe five scotches on Friday or Saturday, right? So I know it can be tough once you're in the habit of this. I'd suggest a few things, Peter. One, minimize your social interactions that involve alcohol. Don't meet a friend at a bar. Don't go to cocktail parties for 40 days. Minimize those, right? Two is, um, you know, some people use the Sunday indulgence as an opportunity to indulge in whatever they're abstaining from. Maybe that's a way for you. A lot of times it's helpful just to find something to hold. So what I do is I end up drinking a lot of unsweetened iced tea and putting it in a whiskey glass. It's kind of fun. You know, you feel like you're drinking whiskey. It's got the similar, similar color. Uh, but other, And then you shouldn't keep it in the house. If you know it's going to be that much of a temptation, don't keep it in the house. Lock it up somewhere for uh, for a month, and, month and a half or so. But good luck, Peter. I know it's tough. And if you can't do it, don't get down on yourself. Just try again tomorrow. Right? That's my best advice. All right. Um, hopefully we'll get, if we didn't get to you today, we'll get to you on the next edition of... Other side of midnight. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718 718- 418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com that's frankbrunolaw.com frank bruno he's your numero uno it's the other side of midnight with frank morano Loggins with uh, the Caddyshack song, which is called This, you know, This is All Right. Can you believe, um, you know, I enjoyed that um, Caddyshack commercial uh, for Michelob Ultra during the Super Bowl. I actually just forgot about it until uh, just now. It's worth checking out if you're a fan of Caddyshack. I love Caddyshack. Great picture. Uh, Hey, by the way, yesterday, um, those of you that are holding, I'll get to all of you. But um, yesterday, I indicated that uh, I was going to give Curtis a ride to this Ron DeSantis rally, which was right around the corner from my house. Yesterday was, uh, you know, I, I, a tough day, right? I was having a little, a little bit of heartburn, 
So I was abstaining. I really only had one cup of coffee. So And Monday's always my toughest day in terms of being tired. So I was beat. So I didn't want to get into a car accident driving home. So I took a little nap at the radio station before I drove home. Like 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And I looked for Curtis, and he's nowhere to be found. I said, Curtis, I thought you needed a ride to this thing. Where are you? And then ultimately Curtis said, and I can't blame him because he worked uh, like crazy over the weekend. He said that he was a little woozy and was going to go home and get a little rest because uh, his head was hurting and he had to be back (laughs) for 11. Uh, So neither Curtis nor I made it to the Ron DeSantis rally. I chose to go to sleep instead. But um, I just wanted to close the loop on that because I mentioned that we were going to head over there. My mom was there, though. A packed crowd. Until next hour. Your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Kenneth, now that we're back on the air, any other presidential trivia questions that you want to throw at me? Yeah, I got one for you. All right, let's hear it. So which president turned down going pro for football? Turned uh, down two teams. I'm uh, See, I'm going to guess. Of course, now it's one that I don't know now that we're on the air. I'm going to guess that it's Gerald Ford. Uh, you got it, baby. All you right, got it. Still, University, I've, I've redeemed myself. Uh, University of Michigan. Won the chip in 32 and 33 and denied the Lions and the Packers to go pro. Uh, well, he was quite a football player and quite an athlete in general. All right. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Speaking of presidents, there was a, a bit of news right after we left the airwaves yesterday. And uh, I wish the news would have broke a few minutes earlier and we would have uh, we would have brought it to you. But, you know, can't help the time that we're on the air, right? So right after we were off the air yesterday, we learned that President Biden was making a surprise visit to Ukraine. This is a little bit of President Biden's remarks as he was hanging around with Ukrainian president, Ukrainian president Vladimir Zelensky yesterday. Later this week, we will announce additional sanctions against elites and companies that are trying to evade sanctions and backfill Russia's war machine. And thanks to bipartisan support in Congress, this week we're delivering billions in direct budgetary support, billions in direct budgetary support, which the government can put to use immediately and help provide for basic services of citizens. The cost that Ukraine has had to bear has been extraordinarily high. And the sacrifices have been far too great. They've been met with them in far too great. Now, I have been very critical with escalating 
this war in Ukraine. But I have to tell you, even as as a Biden critic and a frequent Zelensky critic, I don't have a problem with him going there at all. I think that uh, politically it makes a lot of sense whenever an American president can be seen conducting foreign policy they uh it generally helps them at home also it sort of uh, it sends a message to the other people that the united states are trying to get on board with this coalition of the free spending and um it sends a message that the united states is still serious about this even though the congress has changed hands and the current speaker is not all about a blank check to ukraine and even though the polls are starting to move more in my direction which is more and more people saying, okay, enough is enough. But um, what I do take issue with is some of what he said when he was there. So, okay, so he makes the visit. This is not unusual. Presidents have visited wartime countries all the time, war-torn countries all the time. Obama did it. Trump did it. uh, Bush did it. And numerous others have. So he was speaking in Kiev, and it's the one-year anniversary. Zelensky called Biden's uh, visit a huge moment for Ukraine. Here's what I take issue with. During the visit, Biden announced an additional, additional half billion dollars in U.S. assistance for Ukraine. And that is on top of. The hundred billion that's already been allocated, and on top of the fifty billion that's already been given to them, which nobody can, nobody seems to have an explanation for how this was spent. And we're going to give them another five hundred million. I mean, five hundred million here, five hundred million there. Pretty soon, you're talking real money. I, I just, I feel terrible for what the people of Ukraine are going through. But, as I've said repeatedly, I'm not sure by the United States saying to the world and to the Ukrainians, we've got your back, keep fighting those Russians, I'm not sure that's bringing an end to the aggression anytime soon. And I just wonder, at what point is enough enough? If you're a taxpayer of the United States, at what point do you say, okay, no mas, we're borrowing money from China, we have record debt, pretty soon the interest on the debt is going to dwarf all other spending that the federal government makes, and we're just going to keep borrowing money that we don't have to send to Ukraine to be to keep fighting with the country that has the largest stockpile of nuclear weapons in the world. I think this is very foolish. So Zelensky said he spoke with Biden about long-range weapons and the weapons that may still be supplied to Ukraine, even though it wasn't supplied before. Biden was already scheduled to arrive in Poland today for a trip dedicated to marking the, (coughs) excuse me, one-year anniversary of the war. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan told reporters that the administration did notify Russia about the visit uh, to avoid any sort of, I don't know, unnecessary escalation of hostilities while Biden was there, which I understand. But you can bet the Russian officials are going to respond to this somehow. Uh, We'll see what happens. But um, we'll see where it goes. The two other items with respect to Russia that I I wanted to comment on very quickly. You remember, so it's been a year since we started this whole thing. 
And it's been a year since we had these crippling sanctions. And do you remember what we were told that these sanctions would do to the Russian economy? We were told these sanctions would crush the Russian economy. Well, they have not. The Russian ruble, as compared to the U.S. dollar, is pretty close to where it was a year ago right now. It dipped quite a bit in March of 2022, and then it uh, skyrocketed in July, and then it's kind of leveled off. And right now it's where it was before this whole war started. And almost a year after its invasion of Ukraine, Russia's economy has proven surprisingly resilient. The GDP fell only 2.2% in 2022, despite forecasters, even Russian ones, predicting it would shrink up to 12% under pressure from Western sanctions. The IMF now forecasts that it will grow the Russian economy 0.3% this year. Embargoes on Russian oil exports have proved underwhelming. They uh, Russia exported 3.7 million barrels per day in January. That's the highest level since June, with most of that going to China and India. Look, we're not buying Russian oil. You think the Chinese and the Indians are going to say, oh, well, we get this oil cheaper now. We're not going to buy it either. No, they're going to sop all this oil up. We, uh, those countries obviously have not imposed sanctions. There are certainly other challenges. Export revenues are likely to decline this year and budget deficits could worsen. But these sanctions, which were implemented with the rationale of forcing Putin to end this war, they're not working. They're not working. Who are they helping? Not helping Americans, not helping Ukrainians, not helping Russians. I think the only thing it might be doing is making you pay a little bit more at the gas pump. So uh, I just wanted people to know if we're going to look at where we are a year after this war began, let's look at where we are a year after this war began. Uh, there was, and last thing I'll, I'll mention here on the Russia front, unless you want to comment on it, 800-848-9222. There was an interesting article written by Trita Parsi for the uh, Quincy Institute for Responsible Statecraft. He's been a guest on this show. It's a fascinating article about how no, weakening Russia is not costing peanuts for the United States. And we're seeing how, and this was uh, actually, this appeared in the the uh, New Republic, but there was a headline at the Center for European Policy Analysis in January that said, this is a quote, it's costing peanuts for the U.S. to defeat Russia. That is completely inaccurate. Timothy Ash, an associate fellow in the Russia and Eurasia program at Chatham House argued in a guest post that from numerous perspectives, when viewed from a bang-per-buck perspective, U.S. and Western support for Ukraine is an incredibly incredibly cost-effective investment. A Russia continually mired in a war it cannot win is a huge strategic win for the U.S. Why would anyone object to that? That's the view of a lot of people that it's costing us very little and we're getting a big bang for our buck. There's this guy, Mr. Bitter, that takes issue with some of the the comments that I've made about this conflict, and that's one of the things that he sort of said. But these defenses of continuing Russian sanctions and continuing to send this blank check of money to Ukraine, they're very marginal. They're materializing because Americans do object to this. 
support for financing Ukraine's defenses is showing serious declines. The number of Americans who believe the U.S. is doing too much from Ukraine rose from 6% in March to 30% in November. That shift was almost entirely driven by Republicans, among whom opposition rose from 6% to 48% during that period, fueled, no doubt, by growing criticism of the U.S. involvement in the war by conservative media. you got people like Tucker Carlson, magazines like the uh, American Conservative, and, yes, Republicans in Congress. There are other polls show that a larger majority of Democrats than Republicans support diplomatic efforts to end the war, even if it involves Ukrainian sanctions. So uh, this whole argument that this war in Ukraine is a way for the United States to strategically defeat Russia on the cheap, it doesn't it, it doesn't hold water because there are a lot of strategic costs that don't show up on a balance sheet. So on the face of it, the economic value argument is valid. The cost of degrading the Russian military would have been infinitely higher had the U.S. fought Russia itself. Instead, we can get the Ukrainians to do it. Yet this is so misleading because it doesn't show any of the hidden costs to the U.S. of a prolonged war, one in which we've become even more involved as President Biden prepares weapon package and AIDS package after weapons package and AIDS package. All wars come down to a battle of wills. And the Ukrainian people, to their credit, have shown a ferocity, a ferocity, 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 of resistance that few expected given Russia's vastly superior military power. So the cost of the war thus far is not peanuts. The U.S. support for U.S. Uh, the U.S. support for Ukraine in 2022 amounted to 68 billion, and the White House requested another 34 billion. In comparison, the war in Afghanistan cost 23 billion per year in its first two years. That's how much more we're spending in Ukraine than we spent in Afghanistan. In 2011, at the height of the surge, the war cost 107 billion. The Iraq War cost $54.4 billion and $91.5 billion in its first two years. So the first year of the Iraq War was not as costly as this first year of the Ukraine situation. According to the Cost of War Project at Brown University, the failed global war on terror cost $8 trillion and caused more than 900,000 deaths over the course of 20 years. Neither the... Iraq nor the Afghanistan war targeted major power rivals of the U.S. So in that sense, yeah, the war in Ukraine is cheap and degrades the military of a nuclear power. Still, arguing that continuing the war is an affordable way of achieving a major strategic objective is misleading, not because few in Washington considered Russia a major power, um, The national security establishment has long identified China as the top potential military competitor. And this was written before all these balloons, while Russia has been seen as a challenge of smaller magnitude. This assessment didn't change with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, meaning the assessment that China was a greater threat than, than Russia. China 
According to uh, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, China is the only competitor out there with both the intent to reshape the international order and increasingly a power to do so. As a result, the value of degrading Russia's military, which clearly was overrated in the first place, may not be that significant, even if it's done on the cheap. It's particularly true if a weaker Russia ends up relying more on its nuclear arsenal, as some people have argued. Biden himself pointed out in October the risk of a nuclear Armageddon is at its highest level since the Cuban Missile Crisis. So I'm going to link to this article because Trita, Trita Parsi goes into other strategic costs, um, like the, the, the fact that we're still involved in this contributes to the formation of a Russian-Chinese-Iranian alliance uh, and a bunch of other things. So don't buy these, I don't know, talking points that this is being done for peanuts to de- degrade the Russian military. I'm going to, I just linked to it on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Morano fan. If you want to check it out. All right. We're going to continue with your calls in a moment. Tony Marie, etc. We'll try and get to you as uh, soon as we return. This is the other side of midnight, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. This is the other side of midnight straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Intruders. I always love my mama, which is certainly true in my case. I got to see my mom uh, yesterday. She came over and uh, spent some time with uh, Carmine and me, and it was great to see her. But uh, this was a birthday bumper music selection from a week ago from John Gotti Jr. We asked John what kind of music he wanted to play. Uh, for bumper music selection, and this was one of his selections, but even John Gotti Jr. can't jump the queue here on uh, the other side of midnight. Got to wait until the song is approved, and we get it in the queue there. All right, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Marie on Long Island. Hello, Marie. Good good morning. That was funny when you said uh, Tony and Marie, like West Side Story. Well, yes, it was done intentionally. I was the one that wrote that email real quick. I was, I guess, I'm, I'm new to your channel. How long have you been on the radio? Um, well, I've been in about 11 years, but in wow. this, in, with, with this show for about two and a half years. Okay, so I, I'm just recently retired. I sat at a desk for 32 years. Um, NPR was one of my favorite channels. Then I listened to Stony Brook, and I don't like the pop radio stations but this is before the internet all right way before the internet and you had cds to play on your little cd so the radio became a very important 
thing in my life, working in the building, I felt connected to the world mm. outside. I worked for the government for 32 years. But with the government, what you're all talking about, I believe, and you know your history, you know, I think the Americans always back up their people from other countries against our enemies. And, and the last president that was in office, you know, the way he just put that man on a pedestal, that's like, like what they talked about him and what people would say about Mr. Trump. Anyways, anyways, I was thanking you because, uh, and that was funny what you said. You told me, <laughs> you told me to call or text Tony and thank him for your show. That's right. I hope you do. Um, anyway, and I'm, I'm probably the only one in Flanders with, with the, uh, Ukraine flag still in her window, in my window. I made a, uh, I made a flag. Well, let me but ask anyway. you about. Let me ask you about that, Marie, because I'm, I'm curious, yes, and, sir. um, and you know, I respect where you're coming from on this, and I appreciate you sharing your perspective. Why the you with, with so many countries, right, dealing with oppression, dealing with genocide, dealing with war, dealing with autocracy, dealing with, uh, as we see in in (laughs) Turkey, uh, a deadly earthquake that's killing thousands Mm. of people. Why Um, only the Ukrainian flag? Is that in your window? Well, um, well, because it was an invasion, in my opinion, Um, because you have to put yourself in in somebody else's shoes, I believe, in life. We don't do that with all the with all the bad stuff that's going on in the world, and there's a list of them, and I know you, I know you know all of them. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I don't know. I'm supporting them. Well, um, when when because... when Zelensky, for instance, <laughs> uh, and and this, I'm, I'm not looking to have an argument at all. Uh, but oh, I, no, I'm just curious. Never. But when Zelensky uh, bans opposition political parties and shuts down opposition media. Doesn't that give you some pause that maybe this is not the champion of freedom and democracy that uh, that Americans should be, you know, that should be celebrating? Mm, well, they, they laugh at him, you know, not because he was a comedian, but they, the, some people laugh at him. Um, they, they say Russia will get those pieces of land, supposedly. But I did hear on, was it your show or someone else's show? You had a general. Some general, McGov, I forgot his name, but he said that Putin would never do anything nuclear. You know, if it comes down to that, there's so much. I'm 61 now. The war started on my birthday Friday. Oh, well, happy birthday. Thank you. I sent you the list. Oh, okay. Your birthday's the 24th. Correct. Oh, okay. All right. And and I made it easy for you. I said just pick any song from certain... Um, Musician. Thank you, Marie. Yes, we are. We're working to get your to honor your birthday bumper music <laughs> selections. But and, you saw even John Gotti Jr. had to wait, so you may have to wait. No, as well. no problem. Oh, no problem. So, I'm not like that. And uh, I just was curious. I saw your picture, and I said, "Oh, he's younger than me." <laughs> well, hey, but uh, but I am married though, Marie. So you I know, know that. Well, I am too. Oh, uh, well. years. Well, then maybe we'd be a good match for one another then. Marie, very married. Very married. <laughs> Marie, thank you. I appreciate You're the call and uh, and your enthusiasm. And I'm glad we found you. Glad you found us. Spread the word, oh, okay, about please. our show. You're you're very you're so cool. I agree with you. You, you try you. to stay independent, and and you know a lot of people don't know that we owe money to China. Yeah, no, and more every day. Believe me. Thank you, Marie. Appreciate the call. Uh, Marie seems like a nice lady. I'm not gonna.
argue with her. And look, she's entitled to her opinion just as uh, everybody else is. Uh, we'll get to the rest of you in a moment. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Last thing I'll say on the Ukraine situation. I was hesitant to say this because I noticed it. And then um, I, I happened to have Tucker Carlson on last night and he mentioned it. So sometimes, you know, Tucker and I are on the same page a lot in terms of topic selection. You notice what subject he did yesterday? Them changing all the words in uh, the the Willy Wonka books, right? So I don't like to do something after Tucker does it because it makes it look like like I'm copying him, which I'm not doing. But I, I did want to mention this. So they had air rained sirens sounding as Biden was touring the streets of Kiev with Zelensky, right? But wouldn't you think, while the presidents are walking around, an air raid siren means there's going to be an air raid. Oh, there's going to be bombs. There's going to be something. But Biden and his team are just walking around like they don't have a care in the world. Wouldn't you think that if these air raid sirens were genuinely a harbinger of a forthcoming air raid, that they would immediately hustle the president of the United States to safety the instant one of those air sirens sounded. But they didn't do that. And there were no air raids in Kiev yesterday when Biden was there, or the rest of the day. There were no air raids. So it does, I'm not saying this is the case, but it does make some people think that this was done for show that this these air raid sirens were almost a sound effect because it was at that very moment that it sounded when Biden and Zelensky were walking. It's almost like if they're going to get video of this, there should be an air raid siren in the background, even though there was no air raid. So I thought that was interesting. 800-848-9222. That's uh, 1-800-848-9222. To to Tony is in New Jersey. Uh, he or she has been patiently holding. Hello, Tony. Hey, Frank. How are you, Tony? Good, and it's Florida. Oh, wonderful. Well, according to Kenneth, you're in New Jersey. I didn't even notice the move. Um, I had two comments I want to make about sure. two different things. Be my guest. First of all, I am not offended on what Tiger Woods did. You had to explain it to me why it was funny, but it was funny, okay? And you know what? He's living his life. He's not living mine. So anybody out there that's famous doesn't owe me an apology for any grievous faux pas they make. I don't care because that's your life, not mine. And the second thing, you know, that'd be like if I had a car my neighbors thought was ugly and I found out about it. Me going around the neighborhood and knocking everybody's door and apologizing they're offended by my ugly car. And the second thing I wanted to say is, my mom took me out the bottle when I was two. I remember not being a happy camper. The next day when I got out of bed in the morning and I went in the kitchen, my grandma was there instead of my mom. And I thought, ooh, grandma is a lot nicer than mom. Maybe she'll give me the bottle. So I asked my grandma for a bottle, and she got it for me. So even though he's really little, okay, he knows more than you think he knows. And he's just kicking up a fuss because he doesn't want to change. Well, uh, you might be right, Tony, and I'm going to try that uh, that suggestion that one caller made yesterday where I transfer the milk from his bottle into his sippy cup in front of him to see if that does yeah, anything. I because think that was, 
You know, he yeah, is very observant. And thank you, Tony. Appreciate. Oh, what was your other comment? Oh, it was oh, that was the Tiger Woods one. Thank you. Um, so he is very observant. He pays pretty close attention to what goes on. He knows what doors open where. He knows. He, you know, he is. I mean, look, as he's not reading War and Peace or anything like that or doing algebra. But he strikes me as far. I know. I'm sure every parent says this, but as far as 15 month olds go. He strikes me as a very, or 14 months old, he strikes me as a very smart one-year-old, right? So he does pay attention to what's going on. But some things, he's obviously not smart enough to avoid ordering the uh, uh, the Major League Soccer package for $80, but it's neither here nor there. Hey, speaking of being clever, um, there was a fascinating piece by, written by Gerwinder Bogal, a researcher of extremism. And essentially, I've always wondered the very thing that he explored, which is, look, it's easy if you're not very bright, it's easy to fool someone who's not very bright, right? But I, th- there are so many clever people that believe so many stupid things out there. I mean, so many, you know them, they've been in your life, but there's so many people that are very bright, and yet for whatever reason... They believe something that's totally foolish. And this is what Gerwinder Bogal writes. While unintelligent people are more easily misled by other people, intelligent people are more easily misled by themselves. Themselves. People who score highly on tests of intelligence and numeracy are more likely to correctly interpret data when it relates to some practical outcome, such as a skin rash treatment. But when the same data is presented as regarding a polarizing subject like gun control, those who scored highest on numeracy actually exhibited the greatest bias. This is true of liberals and conservatives, atheists and Christians, across the board. That's because, he argues, our brains, and I'm going to link to this too, if you're interested, um, facebook.com slash moranofan, if you want to read the whole thing. I'm just giving you a thumbnail sketch. That's because our brains aren't simply trying to find accurate truths about the world. We're also trying to maintain social status and tribal belonging. And we can signal membership of groups with beliefs, and the more irrational the belief, the stronger the signal that you're in the group. Since we're a social species, according to Bogle, it is intelligent for us to convince ourselves of irrational beliefs if holding those beliefs increases our status and well-being. You know, for instance, uh, I don't want to get into a whole election discussion right now, but let's say um, you've seen no evidence that Biden stole the election in 2020, and you've seen no evidence that um, Trump won the election legitimately. But all your friends are diehard Trump supporters, Your favorite radio and TV talk show hosts are hammering home this message all day long. Your brain, this is what the study is saying, what this material is saying. 
your brain will find a way to rationalize that even though you haven't seen the evidence of a stolen election, your brain will find a way to make yourself look at the data and essentially ignore it because the more the more important part of your brain is telling you that you can't forego membership in these groups or organizations. So I thought that was really interesting. I just posted it. You can read it. Facebook.com slash Morano fan. I was talking yesterday a bit about comedian Richard Belzer's passing. I am shocked that I didn't mention this. And it goes to show you that I was tired yesterday because one of the most noteworthy aspects of Richard Belzer's career had to do with professional wrestling. And, you know, there was a time in the 80s where the major pro wrestling federations did not admit to being in on the joke, right? They, they didn't admit that it was, it was fake. I don't like to use the term fake, but they didn't admit that the outcomes were predetermined. And he was a conspiracy theorist, Richard Belzer, and he loved debunking things. So March 27th, 1985, just a few days prior to the first WrestleMania, Belzer requested on his cable TV talk show, Hot Properties, that Hulk Hogan demonstrate one of his signature wrestling moves. After being asked by Belzer several times, Hogan put Belzer in a front chin lock, which caused Belzer to pass out. When Hogan released him, Belzer hit his head on the floor and sustained a major laceration to the scalp that required a brief hospitalization. Belzer sued Hogan for $5 million. People, that's something that didn't get mentioned at all yesterday. So we dug up, and Alex Barnard found this, we dug up this clip of Richard Belzer talking with Bob Costas about that incident with Hulk Hogan and that lawsuit. Listen to this. And I, and I was un- unconscious, went to the floor, hit the back of my head, blood gushing out, and I had a dream. I was only out for 11 seconds. I had a dream for those 11 seconds. I dreamt I was late for the show for, for Hot Properties. And I was really worried. And then I woke up and I see this huge, giant, orange, bleached mustache stripping. It's Hulk Hogan. You ever see that face on Mars? You know, that looks like this huge icon. And he helps me up, and blood's pouring out of the back of my head. And for some reason, I said, And now, we'll be right back after this word from you-know-who. We'll be right back. My doctor said, how did you do that? You were in shock. You're losing blood. So I guess show business literally was in my blood. It was on my jacket. It was on the studio floor. <laughs> and, and so then what happened after that was I, I that night in the, in the, uh, I was in the hospital. And I said, well, maybe I'm going to see if this is on the news, you know, just out of curiosity. Channel 2, Richard Belzer, boom, Channel 4, boom, let's run it backwards, slow motion, Channel 5, Channel 7. Everything was like, I got 10 more stitches watching the damn thing. And then uh, that night I had a dream. That I had another dream. Another? Yeah, this one was 12 seconds. No, I had a, a, another dream that night that my first show back would be, because my head was all split open. I thought I'd have, like, brain damage. And Anyway, I, I, we sued him. He settled out of court just before we were going to go to court. And now I have a lovely home in France called the Hulk Hogan Arms. <laughs> so that's a significant settlement? Uh, it's all gone, but it was significant. So what was reported is that Belzer sued Hogan for $5 million and they settled out of court for $400,000 in 1990. Now, $400,000 when it comes to a court settlement is great because you don't have to pay taxes on it. 
you get to keep that money. And he used them, and, and you talked about that a lot, and um, they, he and his wife would call their, their house in France Shea Hogan or the Hulk Hogan Estate. So uh, that's that. I, I figured I should mention that because we do talk a bit about pro wrestling on the show. But the thing that I don't get is I, th- I don't think you should be asking a guy with, you know, 42-inch biceps to demonstrate a wrestling move on you. And then he demonstrates the wrestling move, and you get hurt, and then you sue? No. I mean, call me crazy. A a guy that's 6'6", 303 pounds, 46-inch arms, he puts you in a wrestling hold. It's going to hurt. There's a good chance you're going to get injured. That's pretty dirty. On Belzer's part. Yeah. Yeah. You agree with me? Oh, absolutely. Put me in the move. Then I get hurt. Oh, now I'm going to sue you for the because I asked you to put me in a wrestling move right. with the 24 inch pythons. <laughs> I mean, Ho- Hogan should have known better than to than to do this with a civilian, somebody that's not a pro wrestler or even an athlete. But that being said, I mean, come on, I don't think that was an appropriate thing. And to th- do. this is also at the time when the wrestling is real secret wasn't out in the public yeah. yet either. Right. So Hogan didn't want to, I guess he really put a move on him, obviously, for real, if Belzer passed out. Because a lot of the times, look, you know they're not punching each other in the face, so they don't have black eyes all the time. And even back then. So I, I guess he figured, let me really put the move on him and didn't count on that he was going to fall back and split his head open. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm sure that he didn't, right? But you can't ask for a guy that is in the kind of shape Hogan was at the time to put you in a wrestling move and not expect to get hurt. Bottom line. 800-848-9222. Uh, let me say hello to uh, Tom in the Bronx. Hello, Tom. Yes. Uh, hi, Frank. Hey, yeah. I'd like to say if the United States wants to do something very decent, they should go to the country south of uh Saudi Arabia that is being victimized no end and to make like um, colon, uh, less than the colony out of these places where they can pour in help, aid, uh, help people uh, survive a lot better and stop the, these crazy wars over there. And the same holds true for Gaza. Tom, Gaza should be a, I, I'm not sure a, I, like I, a... Tom, slow down. Like a colony of the United States. I mean, uh, something less than a colony, but for humanity's sake. In fact, this world, unfortunately, needs Tom. needs Tom. more colonies that are, are doing something positive for Tom. people, not to let them suffer with, with the war machines okay. that are going on. Let, let, I'm, let me just understand what you're what you're suggesting. So... When you say the country south of Saudi Arabia, right? Uh, so y- you want to make that country into a an like an American protectorate, basically. Uh, that's right. That's and, and the same holds true for Gaza. But, but wait, wait, help slow down, Tom. If they would do that, why? why? Well, because there's too much anarchy going on in these two areas. In other words, that I can pinpoint, there's other areas like if uh, England still owned a big uh, desert, there's a lot of refugees in Africa that would gravitate to go live in an area like that. 
under the protection of the English yeah. army and stuff. Yeah. It would be a wonderful thing. Right. Well, in other I, words, if France would do it, it would be great, too. Uh, well, uh, thank you, Tom. I, so I think I'm clear on what you're suggesting. And I'm not I'm not for it. But believe it or not, that is actually kind of what's going on here. Right. I mean, not with Ukraine and not with and I'm not sure which country is south of Saudi Arabia. I don't know if it's Jordan or, um, you know, no, it's uh, Yemen, Yemen in the south and Oman. Right. It's the it's the coolest uh, peninsula on the block. You got Yemen and Oman. But um, you have uh, a situation where the enlargement of NATO with even countries like uh Montenegro, Estonia, Finland, all trying to get into NATO, even Ukraine trying to get into NATO. If any of those countries are attacked, we're bound by an Article 5 treaty obligation to defend them as if they've attacked the United States. I don't think that's good. I don't really want to shed any American blood to uh, to fight against you know a Russian invasion of Finland. Not that there was ever going to be a Russian invasion of Finland, but... Um, you're almost achieving the very kind of thing that you're suggesting. As far as Gaza goes, though, I am not for that at all. I mean, that's so much of a powder keg already that I think that by uh, trying to, whatever you're suggesting, annex the, you know, the Gaza Strip, you're almost inviting terrorist reprisal. I don't think that's a good idea at all, personally. All right, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Alan is in Queens. Hello, Alan. Uh, hi, Frank. Good morning. Uh, I want to go back a few minutes ago when you were saying that um, uh, people who aren't that intelligent are easily or more easily misled, and uh, people who are intelligent uh, uh, get misled by uh, of, they mislead themselves and it reminded me of a, a, a Shakespearean uh, writing where I don't remember the exact I don't remember the play and I couldn't quote it verbatim but it went something like this there is nothing true or false but thinking makes it so and he meant that people can convince themselves of anything whether it's true or not if they think it's true it's true like for example abortion uh, some people are so vehemently against it and some people think it's cool or you could take some very intelligent nazis that you know I watch on television these old uh, history channel uh, they were brilliant people, but they convinced themselves that Jewish people, for whatever reason, should be killed. Yeah, uh, so, th- that's a great observation, um, Alan. And I think the play was uh, was Hamlet that that line comes from. But um, the and you know it's funny. And thank you for the call, Alan. Your point is such a good one. The mind is a very malleable thing, and if you read Napoleon Hill's book. Think and Grow Rich, which is about the mind and a lot of things aside from making a lot of money. There's this one anecdote in the book where a guy, and I haven't read the book in years, so this is not going to be 100% accurate, but the spirit of it is. A guy goes to work for a criminal enterprise and immediately he's repulsed by it. He can't believe the kinds of things they're doing, they're stealing, they're uh, uh, robbing, they're assaulting people. He can't believe it. Then a week or two goes by and he's saying, okay, well, I don't like this, but I'm not doing any of that. 
this is my place here. I'm just kind of doing my thing, and I don't get involved in any of that bad stuff. I'm just here to do my job. Then a month goes by, and this guy is enthusiastically embracing the criminal enterprise. So to me, it's an anecdote about groupthink. It's an anecdote about how you you can make your your mind can make you believe anything. Anything. Uh 800-848-9222. We're going to continue with your calls in a moment. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. The other side of midnight. Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Just gonna stand there and watch me burn. Well, that's alright because I like the way it hurts. Just gonna stand there and hear me cry. Well, that's alright because I love the way you lie. I can't tell you what it really is. I can only tell you what it feels like. And right now it's a steel knife in my windpipe. I can't breathe, but I still fight. Well, I can fight. As long as the wrong feels right, it's like I'm in flight. High off a long drunk from my hate. It's like I'm huffing pain. I love it the more I suffer. I suffocate right before I'm about This is Eminem and Rihanna. Uh, yesterday was Rihanna's birthday. You know, I've seen different ages for her. Some people said she turned 35. Some people said she turned 34. But whether she's 35 or 34, she did age. And now she is, um, you know, with child, as you heard, I'm sure, in the aftermath of the Super Bowl. Hey, I mentioned yesterday that um, Jimmy Carter is unfortunately nearing the end of his life. But I'll tell you, at 98 years old, the longest living former president in U.S. history, this is a life well lived. Uh, He is going to be receiving hospice care at his home. He's not going to be seeking any sort of medical treatment. He's dealt with a number of health issues in recent years, including skin cancer, a cancer that spread to his liver, to his brain. And in uh, 2018, I came across this article yesterday, and I wanted to mention this because I think it says a lot about the kind of person Jimmy Carter is. In 2018, the Washington Post did a profile on him and his simple life as the uncelebrity president. And they went and visited him in Plains, Georgia, the same tiny town in which he grew up. And his Saturday night dinner is when the Washington Post was with him, and this is apparently pretty standard for him, salmon and broccoli casserole on a paper plate at their friend's place with plastic solo cups of ice water and one glass each of bargain brand Chardonnay. Then they walk a half mile home to the ranch house that they built in 1961. Now, that's so different from every other president in our lifetime. Most presidents, doesn't matter, Democrat, Republican, black, white, whatever, most presidents make millions after leaving the White House. They give speeches and they sit on boards. And Jimmy Carter told the Post, I don't see anything wrong with it. I don't blame other people for doing it. It just never had been my ambition to be rich. And I didn't realize this, but 
I guess once I read it, I did realize it. Carter is the only president in the modern era to return full-time to the house he lived in before he entered politics. Isn't that amazing? Went and lived in the same house that he did before he was in politics. A two-bedroom rancher assessed at $167,000. That is less than the value of the armored secret service vehicles parked outside of his house. That's amazing to me. And I think that is emblematic of the kind of man Jimmy Carter is. Um, Two years ago, Jimmy Carter was on the PBS NewsHour, and he talked about his legacy and what he's most proud of. So, President Carter, there's so much to ask you you both about. But as you think back on your presidency, and and your time as... As, an, as a former president, what are you most proud of? And what, is there a, a, a big regret you have? Well, we were very proud of having been elected and having served as president. That's the epitome of our lives, I think, in totality. And uh, I, I would say that uh, we did what we pledged to do in the campaign. We kept the peace and we obeyed the law, and we told the truth, uh, and we honored human rights. Those were the things that were important to me. And, you know, I read a column that someone wrote yesterday, a Democrat, who met uh, Jimmy Carter only twice, including one time at a dinner party at the home of Dianne Feinstein. And Carter was uncharacteristically late for dinner, but he made a surprise entry coming down the stairs from a bedroom where he had taken a nap. He apologized profusely, making uh, concessions, two concessions in a single sentence that you don't generally hear former presidents make. He said, I'm getting old and need my nap. And then he said, but I should have told someone I was heading upstairs. I mean, what other living former president do you know that would have that degree of uh, self, uh, of humility, quite frankly? Uh, Here was Jimmy Carter in 2018 on The Late Show uh, talking about how he prays for the man that was in the office at the time, Donald Trump. You pray a lot. Um, Do you pray for Donald Trump? I pray that he'll be a good president and that he'll keep our country at peace and uh, that he'll refrain from using nuclear weapons Mm -hmm. and that he will promote human rights. So, yeah, pray for him. Yeah. <laughs> how, how are the... Um... Thank you for your prayers, first of all. Thank you for your prayers. Um, we do need them. But do you think your prayers are being answered so far? Well, uh, we used to have a pastor who would say, when you pray, God has three answers. One is yes. The other one is new, no. And the third one is you've got to be kidding. So I'm not sure which one it is yet. (laughs) Well, we certainly didn't get into any wars or use nuclear weapons, I guess, right? 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on uh, anything we're talking about. So today, you know what today is? Today is Fat Tuesday. It's the last day before Lent where, I mean, it gets crazy down there in Mardi Gras, but also in a lot of other parts of the world. Usually I go for a kind of a Fat Tuesday dinner or something or get kind of a little crazy. But 
I don't know when I would have occasion to do that today because I'm not going to get drunk when I get home because who am I going to drink with at 6 o'clock in the morning? None of my neighbors are in a partying mood. And then you can't really do it later in the day. I mean, maybe I could have a glass of wine or two with dinner. But, um, you know, you can't really do it later in the day because then I have to be on the radio. And either I'll be asleep or drunk, neither of which sounds like a very compelling radio program. But, um, yeah, I this is when I generally abstain for 40 days, uh, no booze or anything else. I also try to use it as an opportunity to kind of do some purification and avoid any sort of junk food or anything like that. But um, for those of you that are joining me in a Lenten fast beginning tomorrow... Trust me, you will find your friends are far less interesting than you think they are. Believe me. Until next hour, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moran. Well, I discovered an interesting website the other day, which is always dangerous because I'm looking for, well, I'm always looking for more information and more resources and more ways to research different things. It's always a danger when there are more things online that could potentially waste my time because I get down these rabbit holes of of research and forget about it. I'm done. I'm done. Just th- I, oh, the, that leads me to this. That leads me to this. I, and before I know it, I've spent three hours researching something that I'm not even planning to talk about. But I'm always on the lookout for show ideas, especially you know I like to explore mysteries and I like to delve into the unexplained. That's why I do like that William Shatner show a lot. William Shatner's Unexplained. I don't think um, I talked to him about it in our last couple of conversations. So uh, maybe I'll invite him back. And we'll we'll chat about that because it is a great show. Anyway, I discovered something called Wikinigma, W-I-K-E-N-I-G-M-A. It's a pretty neat little website, which is a, a wiki. It's kind of based on Wikipedia's information. It's a wiki of gaps in human knowledge, such as what killed Mozart. Or And it goes category by category. The history of April Fool's uh, Day, the beeswax wreck, uh, carved stone balls, Cleopatra's tomb. And it goes, cate- you know, in earth sciences, ar- it gets into aerobic methane production in chemistry. It gets into, um, you know, uh, chemical bonding. You know, there's all sorts of interesting articles on here. So I don't know. I end up on this article 
exploring deja vu. Now, deja vu is something that I've always known, kind of, what it was, but I never really thought much about it because it never really seemed to happen to me. Obviously, it's depicted in motion pictures a lot, like Groundhog Day. Do you ever have deja vu, Mrs. Lancaster? I don't think so, but I could check with the kitchen. I don't think I've ever experienced deja vu. So it's more of um but anyway, as I was doing some research on this, inspired from this Wiccanigma website, I was floored at how commonplace deja vu is. So deja vu, it literally means in French, from already seen. It's the feeling that one has experienced or even lived through a particular situation before, but accompanied by the belief that in reality, one hasn't. And what I was shocked by was that deja vu experiences are commonplace. How much of the population do you think has reported that they've experienced deja vu at some point? 60%. Six out of every 10 people say they've experienced deja vu. Researchers have been trying to find explanations for more than a century. And there are a lot of explanations for this. There are mainstream and then there are not so mainstream. There's this uh, one uh, video on the YouTube. I believe it was done by a gentleman named Michael Molina that he gets into some of these deja vu theories One of the prominent ones is dual processing. First up is dual processing. We'll need an action. Let's go with a waiter dropping a tray of dishes. As the scene unfolds, your brain's hemispheres process a flurry of information. The waiter's flailing arms, his cry for help, the smell of pasta. Within milliseconds, this information zips through pathways and is processed into a single moment. Most of the time, everything is recorded in sync. However, this theory asserts that deja vu occurs when there is a slight delay in information from one of these pathways. The difference in arrival times causes the brain to interpret the late information as a separate event. When it plays over the already recorded moment, it feels as if it's happened before, because, in a sense, it has. So, that's interesting. Did that make sense to you? And it's also called split perception, the split perception explanation. Essentially, it's that um, if if you've experienced a sensory experience twice successively. The first input experience is brief, degraded, or distracted, and immediately following that, the second perception might be familiar because the person naturally related it to the first one. One possibility behind this mechanism is that the first input experience involves shallow processing, which means that only some superficial physical attributes are extracted from the stimulus. That was interesting. Okay. And then there are more there are other, you know, more um easy to understand explanations. The memory based explanation is an interesting one where basically that you went through something, you experienced something and then you forgot about it. You forgot about it and then you're experiencing that same thing again and you have a vague recollection that it occurred before. But you don't remember it. Then um, another one I found interesting, and this is the closest I've ever experienced to this, because some t- this is the dream-based explanation, where you dream about something, and then it occurs. And 
I don't, I've not experienced deja vu, but that's the closest to it because sometimes I'll have a dream about something and then a day or two later, I'll be thinking back to that dream and I'll say to my wife or whomever I had the interaction with, I would say, wait a minute, did that really happen or was that a dream? And so if something happens in real life that happened in a dream, that could be indicative of deja vu. So I thought this would be an interesting opportunity since 60% of the public has experienced some sort of deja vu. I figured this would be a pretty good sample size for me to ask about your deja vu experiences. So what I'd like to do, what I'd like to do is ask you if you've ever experienced deja vu and what was that experience like? Be as detailed as you can. Secondarily, whether you've experienced deja vu or not, I'd like to know why you think deja vu occurs because it's happening to a lot of people. You know, one of the one of the solutions that I think you're one of the answers to this, I should say, that you're going to think is very unorthodox, but it's an issue we've covered before, is the fact that we might be living in a computer simulation and that these are sort of glitches in the matrix. And I'm not being provocative here. I think that's a real possibility. So 800-848-9222. A, have you experienced deja vu? And B... What do you think causes deja vu? That's the question. A question. Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. Let me, 800-848-9222, let me begin with Eddie in Babylon. Hello, Eddie. Frank, great content. And uh, yes, I recall having a dream and it was so vivid. And then I'm, uh, in my anatomy physiology class uh, the first day and I'm sitting there next to a girl and a lady comes walking over and she says well which one do you want you want A or B for the experiment it was frog's legs or lamb's eyes and I just sat there and looked at the girl and I looked at her because it was such a weird dream I had to remember it and it, it happened again so I can only say distant viewing. I, I don't know. And then I had another one that I looked in the mirror and I looked up and I was going bald. And now that's what's happening. And that was about 20 years ago. And, you know, no, no kidding at all. Um, I can't explain it. Um, I'm said to be empathic a little bit. Uh, and I'll give you a Jimmy Carter, too. I met him once and I said, we need you back in office. And he looked at me and he said, now you're going too far. That was at the book review. That was at the book review at Huntington. That's at very signing. funny. But, That's very funny. So, 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 what do you think? You, um, the Russians have done a lot of studies on psychic energy and even even controlling machines, where they would send positive feelings toward these uh, machines, whether it's engine or not, and they lasted longer. They seem to have an effect on it. Is that right? Um, I, I hadn't I hadn't heard that. I don't believe. But so you've experienced deja vu multiple times. It sounds like at least twice. Well, well, those are those are from dreams. I mean, I've experienced before when I had been driving maybe with a girlfriend and I saw the whole scene come back to me and I hadn't had a dream about it. 
but you get a during the days of who you get kind of a rush that you've been there before. It's, it's you know it's rather strange because it sets you back, and um, it's like you're sometimes you're standing about two feet back from yourself yourself and you're watching it. I I went out and I dated a girl uh, out in Hampton Bays and we went out to dinner. And she looked at me and she said, how long did it take you to get out here? And the words came out of my mouth. I didn't think about them. I said, 40 years. And she gasped. And I said, I don't know where that came from. And we were kind of like soulmates, like we should have met 40 years ago. So they're just, uh, they're just unexplainable things. Well, I mean, there's very, no way to Very interesting, Eddie. Thank you. You know, what I wonder, because I've not, I've never experienced deja vu. And Eddie's experienced it multiple times. Do if you're, I wonder if maybe there's something about certain people that leads them to experience deja vu often, and other people not to experience it at all. Maybe you either, you know, like there are certain people who, when they eat cilantro, it tastes like soap. Maybe that's the way our brains are with respect to deja vu. Some people experience it, some people don't. I don't know. Um, 800-848-9222. I'm curious, A, have you ever experienced deja vu? And B, what do you think is the cause? So it sounds like Eddie is a believer in the dream hypothesis. Okay. I could buy that. I could believe that. What do you think? What's it all about, Alfie? 800-848-9222. Original Rick is in New Jersey. Hello, Rick. Yes, good morning, Frank. Uh, I have, I wouldn't say... Uh, often, but occasionally I do have deja vus, and they always, always, I don't know if it's maybe precognition, it always has to do with a dream I've had in the past, and uh, many times I'll, I'll think about that dream, like, who were those people? I, I don't even know these people. They were strangers in my dream, and a strange location, it was, it, then years later, all of a sudden a person will walk into the room, and it's that person. And then I realized that's the room I dreamed of and couldn't recognize. So I think it has to remember we talked about this once about where Einstein has a theory of all all time is past, present and future is happening at the same time. Right. I I think that we run into the, the past or we back up into the future or something, but somehow they cross paths. And that's how I saw that dream years ago about what was going to happen in the future. Maybe that's called precognition. But when I see that precognition, that brings back a deja vu. Like, I've lived this before. I know I, I've been here in my dreams. I haven't actually been here, but I saw this in my dreams. That's that's my thing. Uh, so give me a recent example, if you can, Rick, of something that you've experienced that you felt was an example of uh, pre, whatever you want to call it, precognition or living out a dream or deja vu, whatever it was. Give me an example. Okay, well, I'll have a dream, and it'll be it'll be like, I'm confused. It's like where I, I don't know anybody in the dream. I don't know where I am in the dream. And then I'll go to a party, and you know, be socializing. And someone will walk into the room, and it all comes back to me. It's like, oh my god, this is the scene I saw in my dream that I couldn't remember. I couldn't recognize. Now it, it was. It's like I've seen the future. That's that. But then that brings back the feeling of I've been here before. But I know I haven't been there before. I saw it before. Very interesting, Rick. Hey, uh, so you think, uh, why do you think you're getting these precognitive visions? 
well, we don't, well maybe my time clock in, in, in space time is a little off, you know, and maybe I'm, I'm, I'm catching glimpses from the future. Uh, like again, again, the precognition and deja vu, they might be related. Yeah. Well, that's interesting, Rick. Rick, thank you. 800-848-9222. Have you experienced deja vu? Whether you have or not, what do you think causes this? Al is in Manhattan. Hello, Al. Hello, Al. See, that's his example of deja vu. It's me saying hello, Al, twice. See, now I feel like I have experienced deja vu. Going to a caller that's just not there. All right, Al. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Joe is in Israel. Hello, Joe. Hi, Frank. It's uh, it's Joel. Joel. And uh, great to me. talk to you for the first time. Actually, tomorrow's mass reading during Lent is from the prophet Joel. So no coincidence there, I'm oh, sure. So tomorrow's your day. Uh, I'll, I'll be reading. I'll be hearing about you in church, I guess. Well, it's really your, your, your guys, <laughs> your day, but I do read the mass over here. Um. You know, I'm just reading a couple of, of ideas. First, I'm, I'm reading through all the synopsis from the 60s Star Trek show, and it just occurred to me that a lot of these things that they, in science fiction, they became, you know, re- reality. So I think these ideas are replayed through human history. But personally, I had one yesterday. Um, it turns out Governor Huckabee was here with about 400 folks on, a, on an Israel trip. And the last few months, I, I was one of the guys that exposed this thing called the China hustle. It's a hundred billion dollar stock fraud. And I had this vision the last few months that I would be standing at the edge of the sea of Galilee and people would get off a boat. And I would be there with my sign that said Google Joe Biden, China hustle. And all these people would be taking pictures of me because my story is at the top of the Google algorithm. Cause I was a victim of the China hustle. And lo and behold, yesterday it happened. I was driving home and I see governor Huckabee's bus come by and I circled back and I went down to the dock where they were getting onto the boat. And then all these evangelical folks from, from Arkansas got off the boat. And I'm there with my sign, Google Joe Biden China Hustle, which your listeners can do right now. They'll see my name there at the top of the Google algorithm. And this was my personal moment of, of deja vu. Interesting. So, that, that's, thinking, yeah, that, yeah, that's anyway, interesting. I wanted to mention quickly, I, this is a great show, and I know you got other callers. But real quickly, um, the China Hustle was a $100 billion stock fraud. Uh, there's two bills in Congress, Senate Bill 945 and House Bill 7000. These want to prevent these Chinese CEOs from writing themselves blank checks with fabricated accounting. They're defrauding Americans. They want military active and retired to invest in China, even though myself and other victims have been trying to tell people, look, this is a danger zone here. You're going to lose your money like I did and like many of us did until they start to respect the United States court judgment. Uh, they shouldn't be on our capital markets and just let it, you know, for those that have ears to hear, uh, just take note. Please don't invest in China until you watch the China hustle and check out Senate Bill 945. Uh, Joel, that's uh, great advice. I'm going to I'm looking into this right now. It's very interesting. We'll, we'll have you back on the show to talk about this soon, too. And uh, good luck Thanks. there in Israel. OK, Thanks. The mayor is hey. familiar with my story. And so is uh, Greg Kelly. Really? Well, so, um, hey, have you noticed any of the protests out there over the Supreme Court situation? Well, I see them in the media because that's mostly happening um, down in in Jerusalem. I see, but you're not and, seeing, you're um, not encountering them on the street anywhere near where you are. No, not up here. It's up here at the Garden of Eden. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, but, um, well, stay away from the uh, stay away from any any fruit. 
Okay. <laughs> I will. Hey, by the way, earlier, about 45 minutes ago, you mentioned um, annexation of Gaza. I think you meant to say annexation of the West Bank. But no. I'm not sure well, I, first of all, I didn't oh. say it. It was Tom from the Bronx that said it. So, so no, that was his uh, that was his suggestion. Thank you, though, Joel. 800-848-9222. See, you know, that's the danger. I'm not saying this happens with Tom from the Bronx, but it might have. You know, sometimes a caller will make a point, right, that can be difficult to follow. And then I will restate the point more clearly so that people actually understand, the, the listeners understand what the caller is trying to, you know, say. I'm almost a listener to listener dictionary, a listener to listener interpreter. And then people will think I'm the person that said that. No, I'm not saying that. Tom said it. I was just explaining what he said. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. All right, we're going to try our own deja vu experience and go once again to Al in Manhattan. Hello, Al. Yes, Frank. This is Tom from the Bronx. What I'd like <laughs> to say about the Bank of Bank. Listen, hey, I didn't realize I was on. Listen, question. Um, you know, I, I predict well, a lot of things. Well, Al, Al, didn't when you when you called the radio station and you spoke to Ken. I mean, surely you must have had a pretty good idea that you might end up on the radio. Right? Al? As Yogi would say, it's deja vu all over again. 800-848-9222. Irene is in Brooklyn. Hello, Irene. Yes, hi, uh, Mr. Morano. Uh, I cannot believe you're discussing this issue. Uh, It's some very interesting topics you cover. Thank you. Uh, 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 yes. Um, hmm. I uh, went through enormous uh, uh, um, trauma. I lost my mom suddenly, unexpectedly, under some uh, circumstances. I'm sorry. Uh, without get. Yes, it was about just after nine eleven. My mom was a very successful doctor here. But anyway, so so. And my daughter at that time was uh, about four and a half years old. Uh, it was so traumatic, I couldn't uh, accept, I, I, I couldn't internalize. I was just like living, going through the motions of life, so to speak, and didn't tell my daughter that her grandmother passed until she was almost like 11 or 12, without saying, you know. But, but, talking about deja vu, uh, First of all, first of all, when I would go to sleep, it's like I had two lives, right? Like when I was awake and when I was asleep. And I was waiting uh, uh, to go, you know, when I was asleep, like I was living a a different life. First of all, I would see, as my daughter was growing up, uh, you know, I saw like my grandmother is uh, raising her, like it was in a movie, in a film. And what she was telling her, based on the kind of woman that my mother was, you know, and everything, not everything, but significant, like milestone things about my daughter's life, as, uh, you know, she was saying, happened. My daughter is 25 right now in graduate school, like she wanted her to be successful and this and this. Uh, I don't know if that exactly uh, pertains to deja vu, but there was one situation also where I was visiting people that I didn't know in Boston. Somebody invited me to Boston, Massachusetts, and I went to a synagogue for some event, I don't know, New Year's, uh, like high holiday. And literally the people that were there 
and uh, their faces and their names, I felt, it's not that I felt, like I knew that I knew them before. You understand? Yeah, uh, yeah. How, how I can, I, I couldn't understand. You know, it's just, you know, like these are the, were the people that I had socialized, I knew them by, by name, their profession, like I would look at them and know what field they're in. And I was like, because, uh, uh, you know, when I came to the United States, when I finished my college, I was thinking of going to graduate school in Boston. And I was obsessed about it, like it, this desire and wish, uh, like it totally encompassed me. And my mom was very protective. Well, whatever. She just or she wanted me to live in New York. I didn't live in downstate New York. I lived upstate. Uh, she lived downstate. But, uh, but but just the idea of it, you know, that I was in Boston and uh, the scenario. And it uh, uh, not while I was amongst them, but later when I came home, I was there like for three, four days. Uh, eventually, when I returned back to Brooklyn, I uh, took it like I th- thought, isn't like I thought, isn't it wonderful? You know, like I wanted to go back to Boston and meet them, and here they were all gathered together. You understand? Yeah. I'm making sense to yeah, you? No, I do. So, uh, yeah. was was that the only experience that you had, w- which you would characterize as deja vu, or has this happened to you multiple times? It happened to me a few times, a few many times. But being that I went through a grave depression after I lost my mom, you you understand? And right. depression, just I didn't have any like suicide. Sure. Got through, but nothing. I thought that maybe this 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 was a strange, not normal. Do you understand? Like yeah. like wishful. So, mm-hmm. Right. So what do you think? What do you think causes this sort of a feeling? I. First of all, I first of all, I believe, I think, I think that when believe and slash think that when a person goes right to the other world, and they 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 say in my culture that a person is alive as long as they're thought of. You understand? As they're as long as they're still in your life, in your mind, you understand? They're alive because that's what gives gives a person life, right? And I believe that life is not three or four dimensional, right? This high physics say life uh, world or world, I should say, four dimensional. Maybe there is even more dimensions, whatever that means. And uh, I, and and talking about uh, aliens, was it you that spoke? I don't know. Or I probably, was discussing it. Probably. With Maybe. Uh, first of all, I believed it even before it was discussed, like recently, like 15, maybe not 20, but good 10, 12, 15 years ago that there's another life because I understand myself the uh, pre- uh, Primitivity, I don't know how to say it correctly, uh, from the word primitive, the primitiveness of the um, of our um, of human ex- of our mm. existence, so to speak, here on Earth. You understand? You I, yeah, understand I think so. I think say. so, Irene. Irene, I have mm-hmm. to run, but I appreciate you sharing uh, that with us. Mm-hmm. And uh, good luck to you. And call me if that happens again. I'm very curious about this. If you have uh, other deja vu stories, you can call in at eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. But if you would like to try and win a thousand dollars, you can also call in. 
If you are the seventh caller right now to 800-848-9222, that's 800-848-9222, we're going to give you a chance to play the $1,000 minute. That's where you'll get to answer 10 questions in 60 seconds. If you can answer all 10 correctly, you'll be $1,000 richer. Simple as that. 800-848-9222, you can be the seventh caller right now. But if you want to call in and discuss deja vu as well, you're welcome to call in and comment on that. Just when you get on with Ken, say, um, you know, I want to talk about deja vu. Although I think we've given Al enough opportunities for today. We'll we'll wait. We'll go back to Al another day, find out the exciting conclusion to that phone call. This is The Other Side of Midnight, the $1,000 Minute, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. We're going to try and give somebody an opportunity to win some money as part of The Other Side of Midnight presents It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. Thank you, Chris Libertini. Let's say hello to Gary in Rockaway. Hey there, Gary. Hello, Hello Frank. Gary, have you uh, participated? Have you have you listened to this contest before? Oh yeah, many times. Okay, so you know what to do, right? I know what to do. Yeah. Okay, are you ready to get started? Ready. What season comes after winter? Spring. What early American president's birthday is this week? Um, George Washington. What New Jersey-born singer had hit songs with Strangers in the Night and My Way? What entrepreneur was the chairman and CEO of Apple when they released the iPod and iPad? Um, Gates. Sorry? Gates? Mr. Gates? No, I'm sorry, no. Um, no, Bill, Bill Gates is Microsoft. Uh, you're thinking of his... Frenemy Steve Jobs, Gary. I'm sorry you you did not win. What? Oh, that's all right. I really pulled up to talk about Deja Vu. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, hang on, Gary, because we are we are going to give you a prize. But um, oh, well, good. I didn't know that you called to talk about Deja Vu. Tell, give me your anecdote on Deja Vu. Oh well, like one of the previous callers said that like sometimes you have these um like dreams or something, you know, and then all of a sudden you're like in a party or something. And all of a sudden, you get like a little dizzy, and you say, "Wait a minute, I've been here before." And it only lasts like about a minute or so, and then you come out of it. But it's almost like you were there, 
he, you know what the person next to you is going to say. It's like, wait a minute, I've been here before because I knew exactly what that person was going to say. Give me one example. Well, it's like I didn't have that for like 10 years or nine years ago. But it was almost like I went to this um, event. And I was sitting with a bunch of people in the crowd, and we were having the con- like a concert. And you know, I kind of like had a dream about this situation before, and then I kind of like knew what they were going to say next. Like in other words, like a, you know, like they're, they're going to yell a song right. out. Right. It mostly yeah. happened like a Bob Dylan concert, and it was like somebody's going to yell out "Subterranean Homesick Homesick Blues." But I said, "Wait, I knew he was going to say that." <laughs> I knew the person next to me was going to say that. So it's similar like that, but it happened a couple of times like 10 years ago, like nine, 10 years ago. Then it stopped, but actually I was in a, a concert down in a resort in the 80s, I think it was, and Crosby, Stills, and Ness was playing. And I had a couple of drinks, and I'm seeing the show. It was great. And then I was walking through, the, you know, where you buy the, you know, the, the couple of drinks. And one guy said to me, oh, you look like this guy, um, I can't think of his name. He's a Western guy. I said, no, I don't look like him because he's skinny, right? But anyway, so the show ended, and I went down into the crowd by the, you know, by the slot. So I'm walking through the slot. They had a little buzz. I didn't have a lot to drink, but I had maybe one or two. And I walked into the slot, and I bumped into the guy, and I said, wait a minute. You look like David Crosby. So I looked at him twice, and I, I looked behind him, and there was a bouncer with his arms folded around him. So I said, oh, no, no, that's no problem. I'm, I just seen the show. So I said, wait a minute, you are David Cross. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. He goes, and he had spots on his face. He's like, you know, I would never look at him close because I see him in a couple of shows from the previous year. But <laughs> i make a long story short. I said, yeah, I'm the guy that's yelling, Stephen Phil, Stephen Phil. I always like the guitar, you know, the guitar player. And I like Cosby, too. And he goes, oh, Stephen Oh, just go, just go. I love that. That's great. Hey, Gary, I've actually been informed that my efforts to get consolation prizes for the $1,000 Minute participants have come to fruition. So I'm going to put you on hold, give Kenneth your information, and we are going to send you a complimentary The Other Side of Midnight magnet. Right? So um, now those magnets are not available for purchase, right, from the online store? Gary. No, we we only have it that they are uh, for prizes. Okay, so th- as of right now, there you have it. So th- this is a real treat. This is something that you can't even purchase. I'm always promoting that online store, which is store.othersideofmidnightshow.com. We have mugs on there. We have caps. We have jerseys. I keep I, I keep m- making a note to myself to purchase the jersey, which I don't have, but I, I got to get one. But um. This is one thing that you only get from playing the thousand dollar minute. This magnet you cannot purchase it. So that's a that's a great. I'm glad that we can give the the winners something because you know they're they're part of the show. They help entertain the audience. All right, hey, uh, one quick thing that I a couple of quick things that I wanted to mention here. Uh, you know, are you familiar with James O'Keefe? James O'Keefe from Project Veritas. He is. Uh, He's a political activist and a journalist and a and a filmmaker, and he he formed this group called uh, Project Veritas, which is basically known for uh, using hidden cameras to tape people. Right, like they'll tape 
the person running the governor of New Jersey's campaign and get the per- the person running the governor of New Jersey's campaign to say in a manner that's, you know, not that they wouldn't admit to the public. Yeah. After the election, we're going to do this. Right. We're going to do this on COVID. We're, we're just we're not saying that now, but we're going to do that on COVID. Or they'll videotape someone applying for a, a job and um, at the job, they'll get them to say, yeah, we just dig holes and refill them. Right. Or they'll videotape a commissioner with the Board of Elections admitting that uh, voter fraud is a real problem. It's that kind of thing that they do. And so as of yesterday, James O'Keefe the leader and founder of this this group, Project Veritas, has been removed from the organization. Now, I know James. He was actually kind enough to mention me. You might be listening now. And obviously, James, you're welcome to call in if you are. But um, he, he mentioned me in his last two or, or his first two books, American Pravda and uh, I think the other one is Muckraker, whatever the first one was. But uh, I like James. I, we don't hang out, but I would say we're friendly. We have hung out. And he posted this speech to his staff online announcing that he has been removed as the CEO of Project Veritas. This was a 45-minute video. Here's a couple of seconds of it. I was asked to be gone until the 20th. It is now the 20th. I asked the board to resign for the conduct, and they did not. So currently, I have no job at Project Veritas. I have no position here based upon what the board has done. So I'm announcing to you all that today on President's Day, I'm packing up my personal belongings here. I don't really have much in this room that belongs to me. I guess a painting, a diploma, some personal things. It won't fill much. Maybe it'll fill my Kia. I'm packing up my personal, I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional, from headquarters, and I'm intending to start anew. I don't have the answers to why they've been doing this, or why board members were going directly to employees to collect grievances on the week of our biggest story ever. Or why our board members were going to employees directly to discuss removing me from this organization, even saying I'll give you a raise if James is removed. That might be illegal. I don't know. But why would they do it the week of our biggest story ever? But I'm confident that those reasons and motivations will come to light. To borrow an old expression, the public has a right to know what has happened here and why there was a concerted effort to remove me from the organization I founded the same week of our biggest story we ever had. So um, it's very it's a very strange situation. He built this organization from scratch. He is the brains and really the everything, right? But um, so we'll see where this goes. He says he doesn't know why he's being ousted or why this is happening right now. He uh, recounts a weeks long conflict with the organization's board that culminated in his separation from the group. And he left the door open to continuing his work. So we'll see where it goes. I'm going to reach out to James privately to see if he wants to come uh, on the radio to talk about this. But it is interesting. It's always interesting to me when someone gets thrown out of the group that they built, which is exactly what happened here. This would be like the guardian angels throwing out Curtis Lewa. Um And we've seen this before, right? I mean, I, we, I was talking about Steve Jobs during the $1,000 minute. Steve Jobs was thrown out. 
but with from a company that he founded and conceptualized and built. They brought him back ultimately, but he was thrown out. Uh, Vince McMahon, basically. I mean, he technically resigned, but he was thrown out. Um, Steve Wynn, right? You know, the Wynn Corporation, you see all those Wynn casinos in Atlantic City? or And uh, not Atlantic City, but the closest one to a Wynn casino is the Borgata. It's kind of got that Steve Wynn trademark. But um, if you go to the Wynn in Las Vegas, it actually has some of the same things that the Borgata has in Atlantic City, including the B-Bar. There's the B-Bar at the Wynn in Las Vegas, but that's neither here nor there. The Steve Wynn was thrown out by his own company. It's the guy that started Uber, Travis Kalanick. He was thrown out by his own board. It's always interesting. And it's not a perfect comparison, but there are some there are some similarities with Art Bell and the show that he founded Coast to Coast, which he retired and then he tried to come back and then he had a very acrimonious split. And he told me the one time I interviewed Art Bell that he always really regretted selling Coast to Coast to a corporate entity in the manner that he did. And uh, I don't think he was pleased with what that show has has turned into. But um, so that's interesting to me. Uh, so we'll see where this goes. I'm making you aware of it. I'm guessing this is the first that many of you have heard about. It. James O'Keefe has had a significant impact on American journalism and American politics over the last 10 years. If you want to know why NPR no longer gets any funding from the taxpayers, at least on the federal level, it's because of James O'Keefe and a bunch of other situations like that. If you want to know why there's no such thing as ACORN anymore, it's because of James O'Keefe. And um, he's an interesting guy, a very intelligent guy. And who knows? Maybe we'll get him to be here on the radio. You know, uh, our radio network has sometimes been described as the land of misfit toys. We're a collection of people that have been cast off from uh, elsewhere. And who knows? I think James O'Keefe would be great on the radio, right? I think he could bring some innovative journalism tactics to the world of radio. So um, we'll see where that goes. It's going to be interesting. 800-848-9222. I got to tell you this. So on Friday, we're out to dinner, my wife and I and Carmine, for my stepmother's birthday. And we're out to to dinner all the way in Brooklyn. And we're out way past his bedtime. He starts getting fussy. We take him home. We leave. We don't stick around for cake or anything. We go home. So my wife and I are home, and Carmine's in bed by a quarter to nine. So we're home early and Rachel says well do you want to start maybe it's 9 15 at this point do you want to at least start one of the Oscar nominated films because we're creeping up on the Oscars and neither of us have seen many of the films at all and I said yeah let's see one so she picks the Fablemans are you up on this the Fablemans it's the Steven Spielberg movie so We start watching The Fablemans. It's a long picture. It's about two and a half hours. We get about an hour in. And we say, all right, we'll finish this tomorrow. Well, Saturday comes around. We are running around the whole day with errands. And then we're at my uh, brother Nick's dinner party Saturday night. All right, well, 
we 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 rented it for six dollars from Apple TV, and you have forty eight hours to watch it. Sunday comes around. We leave for Long Island very early in the morning. We're out there pretty much the whole day. I come home, and I have to work on the show, and Rachel's exhausted from driving for three days straight. So we go to bed. Rachel says, why don't we try and finish this movie tonight? So we go on last night, and our time to watch it has expired. We can't watch it anymore. We only had 48 hours to watch it. Now, we're not going to watch just the first hour of it. So we end up renting it again for another $6. So we watched another hour of it. So we have about a half hour left, and I'm determined to watch it today, in, in that final 30 minutes, so that we don't have to spend another six hour, $6 to see this picture, which we are enjoying, by the way. I'll give you my whole review on it tomorrow, hopefully, but uh, that's today. I want to wish a happy birthday to Meryl Rosner, who is a wonderful lady and a great listener of ours. She is a she's become a staple at New Year's Eve Eve. So she's celebrating her birthday today. Happy birthday to Meryl Rosner, as is my friend. uh, Actually, I think technically, technically, no, Meryl is tomorrow. So we're ahead of the game on Meryl. But today is the birthday of uh, my friend Mike Cusick, longtime state assemblyman for 22 years. Now he's the head of the SIEDC. Also want to wish a happy birthday to Dana Marquis, who is that uh, very charming young lady that convinced me to buy a custom suit um, 13 years ago. No, more than that, 16 years ago. And also a happy birthday to Martin Krongold, who is a uh, civic activist and uh, somebody that's done a lot of other a lot of other noteworthy things. He's a real a real intellect. And uh, so happy birthday to everybody that's celebrating today. If it is your birthday today, you'll be happy to know it's National Pancake Day in addition to being Fat Tuesday. Also um, actor Kelsey Grammer. It's his birthday today too. 68 years old. Looks great for uh, 68. He's kind of looked the same for the last 20 years. You know, Kelsey Grammer was again in Atlantic City last week. And I, I he's never there when I'm there. He's always there pouring beer, doing his thing. Uh, I'm going to try and get him back on the show again. He's really just terrific. He's a great guest and a wonderful guy. And uh, it was a real treat to meet him when he was here in studio because uh, I've been a fan of his work for a long time. As I've said, my wife and I are trying to work our way through the series Cheers now. And then she'll be primed to start Frasier after we finish Cheers. So, Happy birthday to everybody. All right. 800-848-9222. We're going to do 15 seconds of fame in a moment. If you want to be heard on any subject for 15 seconds, you can do so by dialing 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. If the days are long, 
when the sun goes down You might need a place to call your own Somewhere out there on the other side of me You might hear a voice of breezy in the grind Somewhere out there on the other side of me This is The Other Side of Midnight, and this song is titled The Other Side of Midnight. It's by Stevie G and the Deja Voodoo Dolls. Tomorrow is going to be a big show. Uh, We have um, Dr. Sky, a.k.a. Steve Cates, joining us for his bi-weekly, a.k.a. bi-monthly appearance. Because I can't think of anybody better suited to explain what's going on with these UFOs than uh, Steve Case. It's also George Washington's actual birthday tomorrow. So we have some great George Washington tidbits for you. Uh, Also invited a very good George Washington historian on the program tomorrow as well. So uh, we'll get into that and a whole bunch of other things. You want to stay in touch with me? You can do so. Frank.Morano at WABCRadio.com. Frank.Moreno at WABCRadio.com. Brad, listening from Alabama, writes, um, I believe on the subject of deja vu, that it's just another unexplained phenomenon of how the brain processes information and stores it as memories. Similar to what you were saying regarding cilantro and the taste of soap for some people. Okay. Could be. Could be. A lot of other people are writing to me with different theories as well. Okay. All right, without further ado, it is your opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds as part of The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. E. Frank. Yes, Frank, two points, two points. You know, the founder of the Knights of Columbus, Michael McGivney, was demoted to um, finance officer. And also, what's this big fat Tuesday? I've celebrated Lent for 51 years and had to survive Christmas in Lionel Messi. Tell me. Tommy! Morning, Frank. Uh, you wanted to know why people have deja vu? Here's my theory. Walking down any sidewalk in New York, you are subjected to cannabis smoke. So deja vu just means you're stoned. And uh, fluoride is all... This is the real thing. No, this is serious. Fluoride is in the water. It's leaving plaque in your brains. Ray! Yeah, Frank, I looked into the matter, and Carmine actually ordered Debbie Does Dallas on pay-per-view, <laughs> but they wouldn't let him watch it since he's not 18, so he switched to the soccer package. Marie! <laughs> I've had many, 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 many deja vus. Many. Anyway, I called already, but more importantly, they say that Carter was a weak president. I don't know how weak he is if he can build 800,000 homes. Bless everybody. Tom. Yeah, I'd like to say that you complained about the cost of eggs, but phantom chicken eggs are cheaper than the regular eggs. Frank. It's deja vu all over again. Dow hits 32.250 today and 31.731 tomorrow, Frank. Steve. This is a moron. This is a moron. Eddie. 
We're at the Lobster Inn, Camille and I. Kelsey Grammer's old girlfriend, old wife's name. We go outside and dance, and there are children around us. And Kelsey Grammer breaks out through the French doors. He goes, children, children, stop mocking those two, that couple that are in love. Oh, my gosh, what a great personality. <laughs> Tommy. Frank, did you did you find out about anything about Tennessee with the cops? I called you yesterday. Uh, yeah, I did not find what you said about uh, the, him having a relationship with his girlfriend. If you if you find anything or anybody else does, please email me. One of my co- my cousins, a Tennessee cop, and she told me this yeah. specifically. Well, so uh, if she can email me something on that, I'd love to hear more about it. I'd love to break that story. And finally, Jim in Manhattan. Yeah, Frank, good morning. You got me twice today. I had cilantro with my mom yesterday. She said it tasted like soap. And I was thinking about how you pronounce Brooklyn, and you said Brooklyn today. So I was like, deja vu all over again. Deja vu all over again, as Yogi would say. Thank you, Jim. All right. Uh, My thanks to Matt Blaze, Kenneth, and Alex Barnard for a show well adequately done. I'll be back tomorrow. Frank Morano, good day.